right through this hospital till he gets Wait me. Wait a minute, for God's sakes. You know how many people are dead down. because of me? Not because of you, because of him. Don't do that to yourself. We found the place he escaped from. It's been sealed off. What's going on in there? This place isn't sealed. He's in. He's out. Put your whole life chronic off. God's hey, sake. What are you doing here? Will you come here? Nothing come here. Come. come here. Will you sit down? Why is he after me? Because you're a strong woman. You're independent. Capable of making decisions. Decisions that sway public opinion. You make a lot of people angry, Debbie. What did I say? What did I say? What did I do? It's the Janet Macklin thing. That's why the big push, he, he, he doesn't want you to make that second interview. Why doesn't he go after her? Because you're telling America that she's right and you're telling a sick mind that he's wrong. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Sin Beef Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Gary Hill. And with me tonight is Suzanne. Greetings. She sounds so, so excited to be here. I got to tell you, it's, it's lovely. I know. I, you know I'm so excited. <laughs> also, Jamie is here. How you doing? Jamie's on mute. Maybe. Jamie. Eh, I was my mic. Um, I am doing well. Thank you. <laughs> I am excited about this show. I am excited about the lineup. I'm excited just to be alive. Cool. Yeah, Iris is not with us because she's out there uh, saving that the world. That part I'm not excited about. Well, she's out there She's out there working. She, she's, uh, bless our medical professionals. She's out there translating for people and working and... Hopefully we're in a hazmat suit right now, so she don't get infected by the Ebola virus wherever we're going on. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to talk about that fucking disease right now, because we got a special guest tonight. Um, Master of the Ukulele and the main head honcho at the After Movie Diner, my friend John Cross is here. How you doing, sir? Yes! I am here. I'm doing excellently well, sir. Excellently well. I know we're not meant to be saying that right now, but I am. I'm doing very well. I'm, I'm happy. I'm good. Ukuleles, beards. It's all happening. Got to stay positive, man. You know, and I I didn't give you uh the the intro. John John is the master of the intros. Uh, if you ever listened to the show before, <laughs> I spend an hour writing them. <laughs> he, he he really lays it in, lays it on thick, man. You know, it's uh wonderful. <laughs> Also a musician. I, I forgot I did I didn't mention that except for the ukulele part, but uh John is making us videos every day, us and children and children at heart, uh to stay positive through this whole goddamn thing and yeah. And uh yeah, and I just released I don't wanna go on pimping everything, but I just released um uh, uh, some songs from the vault. I just put out a totally free album on Bandcamp not charging anything it's 18 songs that i found on old cds and old tape cassettes that i uh uh put put through a mixer and everything and and got back up online so i just released a, a, a an album um that's called oldies goodies and rusty fixtures because uh, my band is called miscellaneous plumbing fixtures so uh free album on Bandcamp. go figure it out i also made everything on Bandcamp 50 percent off uh, so if you want a bunch of music, if you're looking for new music, 50% off. You just use the code STAYHOME50 on Bandcamp, and uh, uh, you get 50% off everything. Just go nuts. Yeah, There's lots of reasons why me and John are friends. Uh, one of them is he made a whole album dedicated to Donald Pleasance, and, you know, there, there's that. So go, go get on that. And I'm working yeah. on the sequel. I'm oh. working on the sequel. Oh, the joy. Pleasancing 2. Electon Boogaloo. Oh, <laughs> awesome! My, my heart's a flutter. My heart's a flutter. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Do you know what I still have, John? 
and uh, I actually listened to it the other day. You may What's not that, even Jen? remember. You may not even remember this, but I still have my theme song. Yes. I love do you that remember thing. that? I do remember, and I'll tell you why. When I was going through, uh, I, I have a couple of external hard drives that um, from my old Apple Mac um, before I moved in with Kim, and that's where I was going through and finding the old songs that I put up on uh, on Bandcamp this week. And one of the things I found was the old Jamie Jenkins theme song from uh, um, <laughs> from our days doing Mixler on Wednesday nights, uh, doing Crosstalk, and you did your... Uh, um, your uh, Insomniac's playlist, playlist and, yeah. uh, Drunk on VHS and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, I was reminiscing. I also had um, I had Matt on the show, uh, uh, director video connoisseur on the show uh, just this week because um, he's come out of the woodwork again. He's redoing the uh, DTV connoisseur website and he's got his podcast up and running again. And um, me, him and Mo were reminiscing about some of the live shows we used to do. And, and then, of course, he reminded me that not only did you and him do a show for a whole length of time, but that then I hosted his show for a bit. I'd, I'd completely forgotten that apparently I hosted his show for a few episodes. But that, yeah, so a lot of that time from about six years ago is flooding back now, so it's fun. Yeah, that was a, that was a lot of fun. I, I love those live days. Um, remember when I first started doing the, and you were my producer, and I had no idea what I was doing. And I was just, I was just like, fuck it, we'll do it live. And then I'm like, and I'm, I'm like surreptitiously sending you, I'm like, find this song, find this song, find this song. And you yeah. did it, uh, it like on the fly and you did it seamlessly. It was incredible. It was, I just, <laughs> I was so in awe of, of how you did that because I'm just like this song next. And you were on it. And, uh, the, yeah. There was some great nights. That there was the one night where I was doing crosstalk live, and my building was on fire, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't even realize. Suddenly, black smoke kept coming through my window. There was no alarms going off or anything, and no one told us to get out of the apartment. But I suddenly had to like shut all the windows in the apartment and put the fans on, and yeah, that was that was crazy. And also, weirdly, I had. Um, uh, Rachel Bloom on the show on Crosstalk, which is totally random, who at the time was talking about how uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend had not been picked up by um, Showtime, where it was meant to go to. It then hits the CW and becomes this like enormous fucking water cool cooler show for like three seasons. And I'm like, she was just on my show. So, yeah, there was some mad times back then. Cool, cool. Yeah. I just don't do I don't do stuff like that anymore. You know, like I used to Well, we're all married now and older and creakier and busier. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm I'm not. I just get bored easily. That's all that is. You know, this is why I podcast, you know. Well, no, that was during my, you know, two years, my uh uh lost weekend as I think John Lennon called it. Uh that was my two and a half year lost weekend that I was having where I was just like not doing anything when I'm when I'm not podcasting, I'm recording albums, and when I'm not recording albums, I'm getting blind drunk and falling asleep on the subway. So, <laughs> uh, and having my wallet stolen um, uh, using a technique that they've used in New York for apparently 150 years, where someone took a razor blade to my jeans pocket while I slept. Uh, they were so delicate. <laughs> It's true. And they took my wallet out of my jeans pocket while I slept drunkenly on a subway at four in the morning. Uh, oh, my God. 
Yeah, yeah, it was it was the worst. And then of course it had everything, you know, when you when you're like I was at that time, like living beat to beat, it had everything I fucking needed in it. You know what I mean? Like it had a Metro card with money on it. It had my permanent resident ID card in it. Like it just had fucking everything in it. It had my bank card and everything. And it was just one of those things where like people were, you know, PayPaling me money just so I could eat. It was, it was embarrassing. Um, thankfully no longer there in that, in that situation. Yeah, we always kick up the show the same way. Uh, well, this is a different way this time around. I'm asked John, what's he been watching lately? What have I been watching lately? Um, well, uh, obviously, I watched the two movies we're talking about tonight. I also watched um, something called Timmy Failure. Um, uh, mistakes were made on Disney Plus, which I really fucking enjoyed. I thought it was great. It's about a kid detective with a mullet in Oregon who has a. Um, giant polar bear as an imaginary work colleague and they believe themselves to be detectives um only they're really it's kind of like rushmore for the under tens but with a giant polar bear it's kind of i i kind of fucking loved it that was great um kim and i watched that um netflix series that's a bit like a kind of hipster carry um whatever it's called uh i'm not okay with this which uh we enjoyed uh we thought that was good um Queen and Slim. I watched that. Uh, thanks to Gary getting on Voodoo. That was fucking awesome. I loved Queen and Slim. I'd missed it in the theater. I'd wanted to see it in the theater and I'd missed it. So one night, Kim and I sat down and watched it and I was like, this is fucking awesome. It's kind you of... Know, our mutual friend Kyle recommended it. I, I had no desire to see it and I still haven't watched it, but I really want to, though. Well, for me, it was the, it was this perfect, like, sweet spot, right? Because it's... Um, it, it, it's got all the genre shit that you expect from either um, like the, the African-American cinema, either of the 70s or the 90s. But it also has um, the genre stuff of like uh, Badlands or Vanishing Point or um, True Romance or whatever. It has that stuff in it. It has like obviously uh, something about the African-American experience in there, but it doesn't like hit you over the head with it. It's just like in there and it's 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 like a cool part of the story. Like they use it to kind of uh, push the genre forward kind of thing, which genre film always did. Like exploitation had all that stuff in it as well. So it, it felt very in place, which was awesome. Um, it's it's written and directed by females and it 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 looks beautiful like it just hit all my fucking sweet spots it was like you know wonderful diverse cast and crew awesome genre stuff in it badass soundtrack great cinematography i fucking loved it queen and slim's already on my list um vfw of course big fan of that watched that recently with the with the saddler that was um, so fantastic oh so badass it was awesome Fucking Fred the Hammer Williamson still kicking butt at his age, um, which was awesome. William Sadler with a fucking cement saw killing mutant punks. Are you kidding me? Oh, it was awesome. It was brilliant. Loved and it. And Stephen Lang. Um, Stephen Lang. Just, oh, yeah. my God. He uh, was, they are. They were all killing it. Fantastic cast. They were great. Uh, what else did I, have I watched lately? Um, I don't want to go on too long about it, but I, there's, I've seen some good shit lately. Um no, that's you know better. Like- Let's stick with that. Like, that's good. Let's stick with that. That's good. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. No, the- Jamie, you say what you were going to say. I said I'm sticking with with that. But you say what you were going to say. 
Well, I was going to say, well, then I decided I should wait because it's going to be my turn and then I can just say it then. So (laughs) go for it, Jamie. You're, you're next. Oh, okay. Well, that worked out. Um, (laughs) and I know that's, that's why it's my turn. But, um, what I was going to say was that I would recommend to you, uh, well to everyone because it's just really great, but, um, there's a movie on, uh, Netflix called platform. And it is a Spanish film that um, it just—it's really difficult to explain. But it takes place, and it—it's kind of—it uh, reminds me of things like Cube and Pi, um, like stuff like that. But it—it just—it's—it's uh, it's so difficult to explain. But everyone should watch it. That's all I gotta say <laughs> about that. Um, it is very heavy with. It's laden with social commentary, but it's not like it's not preachy about it. It's just sort of woven in. And it's a really cool scenario about this guy who like wakes up in this this they call it the pit. Um, and like you're on various floors and you um, you stay on one floor for a month and then like you could move up or down. But the thing is is that there's one one big, table of food that moves down the floors every day and so if you're on the top floor you get to eat and then by the time it gets to the bottom you get what's left and there's usually nothing left so and then but you're kind of like randomly moving about every month and it's that that sounds lame but it's really really good it's so good i don't know how else to convey that but i highly recommend that (laughs) And I particularly think, John, I, I, that when you were talking, it just made me think that I think you would like it. Um, yeah, I just got a ton of recommendations. I just had my buddy Jason Hewlett on the show from um, from the basement, and he just did like five indie movies that are streaming right now that he, he loves and recommends. And I'm always looking for stuff like that because like, like I, I chatted with him, but um, – the, the the biggest thing that podcasts can do right now, certainly movie podcasts, is give people word of mouth recommendations because um, you know streaming is just a wash with so much stuff and and most of it or a lot of it is is kind of crap. So you do need uh, people you trust to pluck those gems out of the 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 mire or whatever. And so uh, yeah, I, I'll definitely check that out. It's on my list now. Platform sounds good. Wonderful. Oh my god. Uh, if you watch the writing for Jason and they had their website. Yeah, I think that's when like I that's think when that's we first when, met. Yeah, when we first, first started like, talking. each other was was on Facebook through Jason and Sean, I think. Um, yeah. and, and then, yeah, it all in, interconnects at a certain point, Suzanne. Like, yeah, that's does. what I love about this great community. Like, we're all still, you know, Jason's been doing it 10 years. I've been doing it nine years. Jamie's been doing it, what, now 12, 13? How long have you been doing it, Jamie? You've been doing it. Uh, 12 time. years. 12 yeah. years, right? So, yeah, it's all, like, interconnected. It's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, and I was talking to Mo the other day. I was like, we've got to do something soon. And, and it is Mo tough. and I Get- haven't done anything in a long time but it's tough getting him on the the blower anymore the only time i ever really get to 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 podcast with him is the new year show that we do every year which i still manage to drag him back for every year but uh he's all he's all loved up to the max in florida and uh working every hour god send so uh yeah oh goodness 
<laughs> we were so much happier when we were miserable. <laughs> we, were, we were so much happier when we were all like single and living in like <laughs> shitty places. Yeah. <clears throat> um, let's see. For other than the other than platform, um, some things I've watched recently. We're in the A's now uh, for the collection. Uh, we two years we made it to the A's finally, <laughs> but. Um, uh, so we've been watching like fun stuff like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, Attack the Block, uh, um, and then uh, revisited the Austin Powers movies, which I have not watched. We own them, but I haven't watched them in years. Um, and then uh, just tonight, right, bef- right finished it shortly before we started d- doing this show, uh, we rewatched Autopsy of Jane Doe. Which is one of one of my favorite movies of the last few years, and that's another one that I recommend that if people haven't seen it, then uh, I think they should. Brian Cox uh, turns in a, a killer performance in that, and also the guy I cannot think of his name who plays his son, but um, it's basically like a two guy movie, and um, the there's a mysterious dead body and. The, they're a father and son who are doing the autopsy. And then, you know, things are revealed and things happen. And it's really creepy. Like, it's, it's so well done. So that's, uh, that's about it, I guess. Cool. Suzanne? Oh, wow. Um, oh, let's see. Uh, went and decided since we're going to be locked up together started going back and watching some older movies that I haven't seen in a long time. Don't remember just plain haven't seen. So we watched judgment at Nuremberg this week. And I vaguely remember watching it with my grandmother. It's about this guy who's uh, uh, an American who's presiding over these Nazi judges who uh, allowed a lot of the atrocities to happen. And it's just a really, really interesting character study and I just Spencer Tracy was just amazing in this movie it's very long it's incredibly unsettling at times but it's well worth the watch and watched uh, my one of my personal favorite snake movies with the NFW crew the other night the movie that you say you you hiss it you don't say it because I sound like an idiot when I say it, so I won't do it. So I got to watch a very young Dirk Benedict, well, basically uh, turn into a snake. It's fucking awesome. And, well, today Hubs was recovering, so he got control of the remote, and I'm sorry he did for half of it. <laughs> but we watched Doolittle with Robert Downey Jr., and it was absolutely fucking terrible. So don't waste your time. Just just don't do it. And we watched Pixar's Onward, which was, uh, wow. Just leaving it at lots and lots and lots of feels. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, I watched Onward, too. And I, I thought it was, I watched it twice, actually. And, uh, yeah, lots of feels. Like Suzanne said, I, I'm going to review this movie. I'll, I'll probably do it with The Sorcerer's Apprentice or something with you guys. And, uh. Yeah, it, 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 it doesn't have a lot of... It got bad reviews, <clears throat> and I don't see why. I, mean, I, I, think, I think it was a bunch of millennials who didn't get some of the jokes, and they were just little fucking assholes about it. Because, you know, it, it doesn't make a, like, a lot of silly jokes for your five-year-old to enjoy. It's, it's a very 
it's very if you, if you ever you know it's, it's all about brotherhood and all about the the thrill of the quest. So if you're a D and D fan, you're probably gonna love this film to death. And um, it's it's there's a gelatinous cube joke in this movie. If you're a D and D guy, you know what that is. And uh, it's, it's uh, there's it's, also yes, there's also gelatinous cubes in EverQuest too. Yes, and um, Chris Chris uh Chris Pratt and uh. Tom Holland, the, the the actor, not the director, uh, did a real fine job <laughs> in the voice acting, as well as uh, Octavia Spencer as the Manticore, which I loved. I loved that character so much, and uh, it's um, it's just a good time. And I, I honestly, I don't see the hate. So watch onward. It's good stuff. <laughs> um, uh, beyond that, uh, what did I watch? I didn't watch a lot because I've been watching stuff for shows and these quarantine reviews. So I watched Fritz the Cat, which I reviewed with Cameron Scott. That should be out. Um, r- really fun. Uh, you know, really a lot more social commentary than I expected. Listen to the review. It's it's there. It's like 25 minutes long. But um, way, way, way more than I expected of that movie. It's a Ralph Bakshi joint. I've been teasing these Bakshi reviews since forever. So you might run all of them throughout this quarantine. You never can tell. So if you want to be on the show, let me know. And we also watched... Uh, the delightful anthology movie, surprisingly delightful, uh, Dead Time Stories from 1986. Um, very, fu- <laughs> very funny. Doesn't take itself too seriously. So we want to turn on something stupid. Both of those movies are on Amazon Prime, and I would love for you guys to watch and then listen to our reviews of them because um, fucking delightful. Dead those Time are the Stories two. Was. Those are the two that were like produced or presented by George A. Romero, right? No, this is one no, no, made, no. Yeah, this one made, made in the 80s. Oh. Like, um, yeah. Screen Factory put a Blu-ray out of it that I kind of want now. Which were the uh, ones I thought George Romero had, like, presented. I, I think yeah, they just yeah. put it on Yeah, one. there was... I, I watched called Volume 1. Time Stories, yeah. Uh, volume 1 was... Uh, it had a couple of moments, and I barely made it through half of part two because it was so completely nonsensical. Yeah, this involves a witch's story, trying to resurrect a sister, uh, a werewolf story, which is pretty fucking hilarious, and the best story of the bunch, uh, a Goldilocks and the Three Bears story. I'm not going to give away the details, but it's not in the traditional sense, and it's fucking hilarious. So, it's uh, wonderful. (laughs) I'm going to leave it at that. Oh, and today, for, for no reason, I watched two hours of the Herculoids because I need that in my life. And, you know, I love cartoons. I celebrate Hanna-Barbera, the two to my very core. So I may watch uh, Thunder the Barbarian tomorrow or something or Hong Kong Fooey. Whatever's available for, for my eyes to absorb for, for cartoons. I, I don't need serious stuff in my, my head right now. I just want to watch something simple and pure. And sometimes that's a triceratops. He blows little beads out of his out of his horn and uh and p- piles of goo that kick ass. And you know that's that's the hurt. I heard words, was maybe. little beads flying out of a horn and piles of goo. I don't know, but that sounds. Are you sure you didn't stumble stumble onto Pornhub? No, 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 no. No, <laughs> no this is a Hercules. If you don't know what it is, you should check it out because it's it's it's, uh, it's pretty good. I, I I enjoy it, and um, it's a little slice of. What is that, the 70s, Suzanne, you think? I think so. Yeah, I think the 70s. Yeah, Hanna-Barbera was making a lot of shit back in those days, you know. And uh, this, this is stuff I enjoy. And uh, 
Speaking of stuff I we all enjoy, I'm, I'm skipping the, the beef segment this week because I think we all need a little, little more positivity in our lives. So I'm going to kick it to our, our, our guest first. And John, what, what, what is good in your life right now? And don't quote Conan unless you really, really want to, okay? It's just, uh... <laughs> um, what's good in my life? Um, just that, I, I mean, just... The, the time I've got to do some creativity, it kind of all started. I would, I, I think I would kind of be doing this, um, whether all this was going on or not. Um, I got to release um, an album on my. I turned forty in February, and I got to release an album on my birthday, um, which I was super proud of. Um, and what it was interesting was having worked on that for like a year and a half and finally putting it out, I kind of thought, Oh, that'll be it. I probably won't write any songs again for sort of six months and I'll probably just kind of relax and da, 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 da. But then immediately just kept writing and kept having some inspiration and stuff. So, um, I'm, I'm really happy. I'm doing some music right now. I've got, um, uh, an album that I'm sort of building together on SoundCloud of just as I record a song, I put it up there and just kind of build the album out for free. I'm doing my ukulele videos every day. I put out some old stuff that I found in the vaults. I'm um, uh, writing new stuff all the time. I'm, I'm putting together a, um, I don't know if it's going to be an audio or a, like a video documentary, but it's, it's a documentary about um, sort of the community that we were always talking about, but um, based around um, my friend Matt Farley in Massachusetts, who's the guy who is the most prolific songwriter in the world. He's written over 20,000 songs um, and uh, has been on The Tonight Show and been interviewed by a bunch of stuff. Anyway, a kind of community formed up around him of creatives, and um, I'm in the process of kind of cobbling together some interviews, and I don't know whether I'm going to kind of film some Skype interviews and then kind of edit together some video segments or whether I'm just going to do it as a series of podcasts, but I'm kind of working on that as well. So yeah, I'm just super happy about being creative, finding it in me, still enjoying it, still excited about doing it. That's always a plus. Um, and then lastly, I just still doing the diner after all these years. And, uh, I've, I've decided that during this quarantine thing, I'm going to try and get back all the people we've had as guests in the past to kind of do some top fives. So we've had uh, Jim came on, did top five films to be quarantined with. Um, Matt came on from director video connoisseur and did his top five Albert Pine joints. Sorry. There's a police car. Oh, that's all good. All good, sir. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Matt, uh, uh, Poira came on and did uh, his top five Albert Pine joints. We just had Jason Hewlett on, who did top five indie uh, uh, horrors of the last few years that he likes. And we've got some other top fives up our sleeve. So, yeah, it's really all just the creative stuff that's making me happy and all the soppy home stuff, but I won't go into that. But I, creativity, I, man, that's what it's I've all about. I've been invited, so be prepared to get real bored, people, okay? For, to, to the diner show. So. <laughs> be, I'm, yeah. throwing in, I'm throwing invites out sort of new invites out every week so uh, i'll get around to everyone eventually oh yeah oh my gosh uh jamie what wh- wh- what is good in life for you okay you know what i'm enjoying i am enjoying seeing all of my artist friends find creative ways to do something uh virtual with what they're doing like nathan milliner today was doing a live drawing of indiana jones and 
it was just cool. I mean, you just you just had the camera just like just on his drawing, and so you could just sit and watch him do the sketch, which was just a, a fun thing. There, are, people are finding all sorts of ways to do things. John Borowski did a uh, a virtual book signing for his books that were out. So basically like he was doing a live stream and then like you could, um, you know, purchase a book and then he would sign it for you, but then mail it to you. You know, um, I just, I, I love that people rather than allowing this to, to completely wreck them and get them down, they're finding really creative ways to still share what they're doing and get their stuff out there. And I just think it's fun. Like every time I'm, you know, scrolling through my feed, I think it's fun to see those kind of reactions, you know, the for those kind of things that people are doing or just silly videos that people are making or whatever, you know, just something to kill the time. Now, it blows my mind that it's been like a week and people are already like bored out of their gourd. I'm like, <laughs> like I... I don't get it, but I I love the fact that it's coming out in creative ways, you know. So, I mean, I've been saying from the beginning that my generation, the Xers, we were we were born for this. Like we we um, no one knows how to spend time alone uh, like us latchkey kids. So, um, like you know, we did it for years, but. I just I love seeing how people are the the positive ways in which people are spinning what's going on. And that makes me happy. makes me smile. Plus, people are still finding ways to make some money, you know. Yeah. And Kim and I were walking through the park because we we live near Prospect Park. And and about a week and a bit ago, we kind of thought, ah, we'll go for a walk. We'll keep our distance and we'll just kind of go out and we'll we'll hang out in the park for a bit. And uh, it was only about three or four days in at that point. And uh, a woman walked past us on the phone and she was like, oh, my God, I'm like just so bored. Like, I don't know what I meant to do. Like, I'm just sat at home. I'm so bored. I'm like, are you kidding me? With everything that there is in the world digitally to either look at or listen to or, you know, whatever. And you're just walking around a, a, a park with your headset on shouting at somebody on the other end of the phone about how bored you are. I'm like, oh, my God. I hope you get it. No, I'm no, joking. That's, that's what kills me is that now I am. Um, I um, I really I'm still working. I have, um, but I do have lip, like a uh, fewer hours. I'm only working about thirty hours, and so I have an extra day off. So I have three days off a week, and I am loving that because it's actually giving me time to do some of the things that I've always wanted to do, but I never had the time to do. And whether that's even just uh, watch more movies with Brian, whatever, I don't care. I, I, I will never get bored. You know, I'd be like Burgess Meredith at the end of twilight zone. Um, it's like, finally, finally I have enough time, but I never got to get new glasses. So I'd be screwed just like Burgess Meredith at the end of twilight zone. <laughs> Suzanne, what is good in life for you? Well, I'm kind of looking forward to is it just seems like Pat and I get so busy every weekend. We're invited to this, got to do that. And for once, we have nothing to do on the weekends. And I'm kind of looking forward to this, you know, staying home, 
making dinner together and just spending time together with the dog, the cats, and catching up on a lot of movies that we just don't get to watch together. So that's just nice. We've got a dinner planned out for tomorrow night, which is going to be fun and just no pressure from anybody. Why aren't you here? Are you coming? You said you were coming. When are you coming? So it's just, I think right now it's nice to just have the quiet time. And I think we (laughs) desperately need that. It's like what Larry David says, that there's nothing better than a canceled plan. And uh, the whole world has canceled its plans. And we're all kind of like, oh, thank God. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And what you guys said about being Gen Xers. Yeah. Latchkey kids. I came home. I had chores. I did my homework. I didn't need And This was before anything digital. You had this big console television and an Atari. If you were lucky, right? Yeah, or me and my sister used to like bake muffins or whatever, or and then like watch cartoons and then do our homework and stuff. Like it was just, I don't know, we just got on with it. Like my parents were the the constant refrain of like my parents when I was growing up was like, John, you don't understand. We both have to work and we have to work late. And we have to do this, so like we're not going to be around. Like that was that was kind of like the story. So it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, yeah, because well, yeah, one, I mean. My parents weren't around to entertain me, and you know, oh, I right. entertained myself. Also, I didn't want them to be. <laughs> no, I didn't. They, That's the thing is I didn't. I was so much happier when they weren't there. They, they didn't get my music. They didn't get my sense of humor. They didn't get my uh, comments or my references. I couldn't talk to them about movies. I put a film on. My dad would fall asleep in like 15 minutes. Um, unless it had like a cowboy on a black horse and a cowboy on a white horse, <laughs> the guy on the white horse defeated the guy on the black horse. He didn't understand the movie. You know what I mean? It had to be like good versus evil in a hat. Like that was, then he would understand <laughs> it. Out, outside of that, he wasn't interested. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like my dad with westerns and war movies. Oh my God. I swear to God, I cringe every time I see Back to Batan on with John Wayne. My <laughs> father, I swear to God. He bought the VHS of this back in the day when VHSs were like 50, 60 bucks a piece. And he bought the fucking VHS of this and watched it and watched it. I swear to fucking God, he watched it every week. <laughs> and I had nowhere else to go. The, the only thing dad and I was ever able to bond on movie wise was Westworld which obviously plays on the whole like man in black killer right. cowboy thing. But he didn't understand why they were all robots. He like liked the movie because there was like a bad guy, <laughs> Yul Brenner, like killing people and stuff. But he didn't understand the whole robot thing. He didn't get like none of that made any sense to him. But he liked Yul Brenner and the, <laughs> the cowboy hat. So. I, uh, war movies and westerns is what I was raised on because of my dad. And it's every time, even after I, you know, grew up and moved out and got a place of my own, every time I would come visit him, there was a John Wayne movie on. Every, uh, for 20 years when I would go visit him, there was a John Wayne movie on TV. And 
but that was great because I loved John Wayne. I had such a crush on him when I was like seven. I had a John Wayne clock on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Cute little seven year old Jamie having a crush on John Wayne. That's hilarious. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> Did you have like pigtails and wear a gingham skirt and like want to be swept off your feet by John Wayne? <laughs> Were you there? No. <laughs> no. Because, <'Cause>, yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just assuming in, that's in, what you do. In my <laughs> dreams, I'm Maureen O'Hara. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do love that, that movie. <laughs> oh my gosh. What am I grateful for? I don't even know, man. There's lots of stuff. I mentioned cartoons, cartoons are essential. And your life and in your your soul to, to love cartoons. Um, I'm grateful there's a waffle maker that makes Lego pieces that's going to be coming soon. I'm going to buy one of those for sure because I want to play with my food. <laughs> play with my food, damn it. Play with my food. Um, what else? Maybe a little fry there, there's, there's a waffle maker that makes Lego pieces. You're going to have to explain yes. to me, dude. They, they, they have a waffle maker that you can, you can buy that would turn your, your waffle into Lego pieces you could build stuff with. So you could play with your food literally. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Cool. <laughs> uh, what else? That's, peanut butter M&M's. Like those are del- <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. Peanut butter M&M's are delicious. Uh, those are a thing. Um, uh, trash cinema, I, which I, we mentioned already. Uh, that Trash is some. Uh, treasures others. Um, love that to death. Unless it's something really bad. I heard some of these... Uh, Listen to the horror cast, and they mentioned a film called Pigster. is really terrible. So I might I avoid that like the plague. But um, it's... um. It's a great time to be alive. There's lots of content out, like like John mentioned. I've been trying to get more content out. I released two shows as they were talking about the movies they watched. So you're welcome, I guess. You know, listen to that Grease Two commentary. It's gold. Okay, that's all I'm gonna say about that one. Uh, um, as long as you claim quite rightly that Grease Two is better than Grease One, then I'm I'm oh. fine with it. Usually, when it's a movie that like two three of us like, and the other two are are, are 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 rejecting, not in a bad way. But when they groan through the whole thing, and they, they, they like it, but they don't like it, it makes for a good conversation. <laughs> we, we did a Pink Flamingos one once, and Nudie was just disgusted. <laughs> so it, made for, it made good conversation, you know. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm definitely in the Grease 2 camp. And yes, not, even, not even... I, I am, too. Not even ironically, just squarely in the Grease 2 camp. Uh, you, you know, it made me believe that Michelle Pfeiffer might fall in love with a stuffy Brit. So, get it, <laughs> get it, Stephanie, get it. You know, oh my gosh, um, yeah, lots of stuff, man. I've been just trying to stay positive throughout this whole thing. You know, th- thinking about sickness, but avoiding people. But then again, I'm a fucking introvert, so I avoid people often anyway. So, I'm just grateful I live in a neighborhood where I'm. Uh, it's very ethnically sound, so there's not too many crazy people running around my neighborhood talking about the end of the world or something. Nobody's uh, wearing a sandwich board telling me to bring out my dead, nothing like that. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just waiting, just watching the internet, uh, watching the wheels go by, as the song says, and just idiots saying new things and new predictions. And um, again, I'm talking negative again, it's just something I enjoy, just watching dumb people talk shit. It's just something I enjoy, you know, so, um, let it burn, let it burn, people. No, I'm playing. I'm here, staying positive. We got a show to do tonight, which is, um, two films that involve murder in a hospital. 
which is going to be fun. Uh, we got the Cannon Joint, X-Ray, uh, a.k.a. Hospital Massacre. And we have Visiting Hours, starring the uh, the fantabulous Michael Ironside in his many, many outfits of this movie. We'll get into all that uh, as we and, talk and about the film. And I have to point out that when Gary sent me the list of his uh, uh, two-movie uh, mashup, matchup uh, things, um, I totally did not put, when I saw Visiting Hours and, and X-Ray, and pick those two to do. I totally did not think about the current. I was just like, "Oh my god, I've been meaning to see X-Ray because it's mentioned in uh, the Canon doc, um, Electric Boogaloo, the 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 Hartley doc about Canon." And I had that and Schizoid on my or Schizoid, however you pronounce it, on my uh, list of movies to watch. So when Gary said X-Ray is on Amazon and da da da, I'm like we're doing that but i didn't even think about the whole like hospital thing it just ended up being very apt to to be talking about these two movies i guess cool we're gonna get into x-ray right after the trailer The whole thing was kind of a challenge because it's all in the same place and you still want it to be, you know, you feel like you want things will happen and to, so many times I, I would, I would do, I would try to do something from nothing, you know, or I can, I can tell you uh, there was one scene in the office of the doctor and all of a sudden she's, she's being asked to wait there and the doctor leaves and she's looking around and I've decided like I said why not and we, we put on the wall pictures of horrible diseases and she's just looking around it and so it was stuff like that that I was trying to do in order to you know to I don't know to to add some scary or unpleasant uh, kind of atmosphere or or for example you know when we did the scene I can't remember when when the nurse or when she's hiding when she's hiding behind some curtain Barbie Benton and all of a sudden the the crazy guy is coming close to her but she's she's losing the lighter she had the lighter so, so it's nothing of a scene, but I, I kind of milked it, you know, into, into something. I was trying to. X-Ray, a.k.a. Hospital Massacre, from 1981. Um, your cheap plot synopsis is this. While receiving a routine checkup, a woman finds herself stranded on the hospital's eighth floor while someone dressed as a doctor is intent on her never leaving, even if it means killing any staff member who comes into contact with her. Uh, this, of course, uh, stars the very lovely Barbie Benton and the very nude Barbie Benton in this movie. And uh, <laughs> It is uh, directed by Bose Davidson, who is a canon staple and just does tons of action shit now. Just look it up. He's, he's worked with Scott Atkins and all kinds of other people. So, just, uh, yeah, he's still, still working today. It's good stuff. Um... Yeah, let's, let's just th- throw ourselves right into this one, and uh, I'm going to kick it to Jamie first and uh, ask her, uh, what did you think of X-Ray? 
Oh, man. <laughs> I have a lot of fun with X-Ray. And the funny thing is, is uh, we have an ABC's episode, the episode X, that is coming out as soon as Jason posts it. He already has it. Um, and X-Ray is one of the films we're talking about. Totally by coincidence, because we actually recorded that episode back in December. I'm just now getting it out. <laughs> but um, I really have a good time with that film. It's weird. It's so bizarre, because the, through the majority of the film, I'm going, why the fuck are you staying at this crazy-ass hospital? Get out. Um, like, run. Like You would not be able to stop me from getting out of this hospital with those crazy nurses and those old biddies and the the I just and the dude on the elevator with the hamburger like what is going on with this guy like he just keeps <laughs> popping up everywhere happy valentine's day um is it like funny. a hospital or an insane asylum because they well, seem to just assume that everyone in a hospital is nuts exactly. and that isn't the case <laughs> no it, that's exactly right and that's what like why are they treating it like it's an insane asylum? You know, like with the whole strapping her down and everything. Um, like, no, this is just a hospital. Like, what is going on? But uh, one thing about it that I uh, I always forget is that it is a Valentine film. And I never think about that when Valentine's Day rolls around. And then I'll watch the movie randomly. I'm like, oh, duh, that's a Valentine's Day movie. Now, it's kind of uh, on the peripheral. It doesn't. I mean, it actually does play a big part in the the overall plot, but it doesn't feel very Valentiny. I guess the only way you remember it is because the one guy keeps saying it. But um, Barbie Benton, I just think is adorable. She's a beautiful, beautiful woman. I just now I will say that the scene where she's getting the examination and the 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 camera is lingering and it's. It's on the creepy side. Like it's, it actually is, you know, feels kind of dirty in an, it's like, I don't know, like an uneasy kind of way, but. It's also uh, unfortunate that Boaz Davidson had admitted years later that that was the busiest day on set was when they filmed that. So apart, instead of emptying the set like you would do nowadays, it was apparently horribly crowded uh, with. Leery, creepy assholes, I would imagine. That is horrible. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean... Sorry I have, to spoil that for you. <laughs> no, no, no. Because well, I was what I was going to say is I've actually heard that uh, that she was pretty uncomfortable with that, with the filming of that scene. And even though, which everyone was like, ah, she was a playmate, whatever. Um, but eh, I, <laughs> that doesn't mean that you want, you know, 57 guys staring at you while you're... While you're, you know, there's a difference between doing something like exp and knowing that people will eventually see it, and and then doing that thing and having them look at you while you're doing it. You know, like it's it's a it's a very different different thing. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's also made sort of equally uh, uh, problematic because of the way that the doctor has been treating her since. Um, his colleague brought her into the, his room and was like, could you take care of her because the other doctor is missing? Like, he's been treating her so badly and shittily from the get-go that the whole undressing her and doing what he ends up doing is just... It, it's not just creepy, It's just it just feels very... Um, 
it's not a positive scene, it's a negative scene. Whereas what it should be is a little bit titillating, a little bit tantalizing, and then get on with it. You know what I mean? But what it actually is, is sort of all tied up Grimey. with this kind of negativity. Yeah. Yeah. And it, well, it, it's, it's, um, it's, and you're right though. That's the thing is, it, is that she is a really beautiful woman and like you, you shouldn't, uh, that shouldn't be a negative thing to see her. Like, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I, I, cause hell, I like looking at her, you know, she's beautiful. So like this should not come with like a negative feeling, but at the same, but then it, it just feels greasy and grimy and I don't know, kind of gross, but you know, that aside, uh, I still have, I still have fun with the movie. I don't think it's great. I, you know, there are a lot of issues with it. Um, the, her fiance or uh, he's like, <laughs> he's going to come to the hospital. She's, you know, he knows that something's wrong. He allows them to drag her away. And then he just, yeah, I'll just wait out here for two hours. Dude, come get me. What are you doing? Like, or don't, don't even come get me. Don't let them take me. Why would you let them drag me away? I just, it's like some of the decisions that are made in this film are just ridiculous. But just to say nothing of the people who are perfectly willing to walk around the uh, closed down and fumigated ninth floor <laughs> as, as if there's anything to see there. They're like, well, I think I'll just go into three more rooms just in case. Uh, <laughs> it's just nuts. Sorry, Jamie, I keep interrupting. But. No, no, I love it. Um, it's just like it's like having a conversation. It's been so long. Um, the uh, what was I going to say? Oh, but one uh, one bright spot I think is the the killer just cracks me up. Like at the I don't know. It was because he reminds me of the killer from the Last Slumber Party. And if anybody has not seen that one, it is a terrible movie, and I recommend it highly. Uh, and, and you can find it on YouTube. I'm pretty sure, but. Uh, it's just the the whole doctor get up and it's I don't know it just makes me giggle every time and his whole his heavy breathing you know like he's trying to suck the mask down his throat <laughs> he's like ah, ah. Uh, the heavy breathing <laughs> really reminded me of student bodies yes yes I'd like to kill the kid with the gum uh, <laughs> But, you know, yeah, it has its issues. It, it's almost like it was trying to be a little Argento at times. I, I do. I love the score, by the way. Um, it's I ended up actually using the score on the X episode under all the movies. And that's because the other two movies that I have, uh, you can't really find the soundtrack for them because they're very old. But the. And usually I will then go another creative route and try to think of ways that I can find something that's kind of linked to whatever I'm trying to score under. But I love this score so much that I just used it under under all the films on this episode. So I love the music. I, I It's a weird one. It's weird. Like it doesn't – it's not one that gets talked about a lot. It rarely gets talked about. And it's there's not a whole lot – really to it it doesn't i can understand why it doesn't get talked about all that much because it doesn't really stand out as far as being just an excellent film but 
I have a lot of fun with it, you know, regardless of that, just because some of these, it's the majority of these decisions are so silly. They're just silliness. And why is one of the old ladies a man in drag? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> I don't understand what, that. <laughs> what, what I, what I, what I felt is that, is that, in in essence, this this movie, which I again also had a lot of fun with, um, uh, in essence, this movie is someone from Canon uh, watched a bunch of other slasher films that were coming out at the time, and when this is what we need, like started a checklist was like we need a flashback sequence at the beginning why well my bloody valentine and pieces had one so we might as well put one okay fine let's uh, in fact let's just steal my bloody valentine all right let's just do that and then it was like all right so then we're gonna have a hospital slasher why because well it's hospitals and halloween too and whatever let's just go ahead and do it and um so so the hospital slasher and then they they start going down where we need nudity well we need some gore well we need whatever but there's no concept of of really um why you need any of these things or how you need any things or what the point of any of these things are. Then I feel like someone came in and I I've got to imagine it was Boaz because if anyone's watched lemon popsicle, you know that that man has a, 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 a slightly odd fucking sensibility. He's not, he's not, he's not entirely uh, all there as they say on the page. So um, he threw in, like you say, like drag queen, old ladies and like, mad drunks in the in the uh elevator and stuff like that because again and i think the reason why i bring up lemon popsicle is is because if you've watched lemon popsicle like it it has a lot of those things in it that this film has in it where you're just like is that good or is that creepy and wrong is that funny or is that just fucking weird like it's and that's just like the sensibility that pervades through boaz's stuff like his early work um but outside of that, this is a checklist slasher film. It's a it's a slasher film that comes kind of halfway through the boom. Um, at, but the 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 best thing about it is is that while they don't have much understanding of like setting up a character or framing a plot, um, which surprisingly a lot of slashers spend a lot of time doing i think it's a a genre that gets maligned a lot but like actually the first 40 minutes of most slashes is establishing the premise establishing the characters establishing like why someone would be after them or how someone is after them um and which this movie just totally does away with uh we don't know who she really is we know that she has an ex-husband and that she's seeing a new guy and she knows that the ex-husband has her kid but we don't really understand the relationship of any of those things that are happening she then goes for a checkup we don't know why she's going for a checkup or what for or how um and then as as the plot synopsis says everyone who's about to come in contact with her um is is killed and seems to be killed in order to um keep her at the hospital under the under the guise that she has a much worse illness than she actually has um and so therefore there's all this stuff faked and the blood test is is trying to be switched because he kills the person doing the blood test and and there's uh x-rays that are switched and everything like that but like to what end like there is no that like 
trying to convince her she has a worse illness than she has is really only those so that she stays in the hospital but only the murderer is meant to be doing that yet everyone in the hospital plays ball with it like everyone in the hospital and they don't act like doctors they act like assholes that they're like well you're not leaving and she's like well i am leaving and they're like no you're not you've got to go in there and like at no point does anyone say to her, we think we you have this really bad thing and like there are tests we can run. Like it's all just everyone just treats her like an asshole throughout the whole movie. Um, and again, I feel like that's kind of a Davidson thing a little bit from his early, early films. However, the thing that they do right is they go, well, once she's in the hospital, what we need to do is we need to make it as atmospheric as all get out. We have to make sure that like blood is spilled all over the place. We have to make sure that plenty of people are being killed, screaming, uh, uh, you know, that crazy people are there, that there are plenty of red herrings, like that, that solid, like 40 minutes in the middle of the movie, like the 45 minutes in the middle of the movie, um, uh, when the killing's happening or when the stalking's happening, or when the, the screaming's happening, it's it's a ton of fun. It's filmed very well and, and there's like good mood and atmosphere and lighting. Outside of that, it doesn't know what the fuck it is or why it's doing what it's doing. But it 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 will give people who love uh uh mad slashes and and gore and random silliness a, a, a good time that's how i felt cool i'll kick it to we're here kick it to suzanne i'm sorry <laughs> yeah okay now this is it's not a terrible movie it's kind of an interesting little slasher there's not a the plot not very thin i agree that was one thing that you both brought up that i would have brought up as well is the logic decisions you know that this this would never happen and the one thing i remember um when she was like i'm getting out of here when her boyfriend came and they finally get her kind of restrained and they're like she's got dts i'm like what where the fuck did that come from so yeah the the nurses act like just brutes the doctors are just rapey and I that you can tell she was completely uncomfortable and that examination scene just kept going on and on yeah. and on <laughs> and you could tell I mean I, I'm gonna guess she's not like the world's greatest actress but you you definitely got that feeling of extreme discomfort and that's one of the things I kind of like about this movie is it never really you don't quite feel settled when you're watching it. You know, the, they that box with her boyfriend's head is it shows up and then she runs down the hall and it mysteriously vanishes and there's a cake. And it's just, it's just, I, I like it, but it just seems like a bunch of random scenes kind of strung together, but that was kind of the canon way. And you definitely get the shades of My Bloody Valentine just in the I guess with the lighting aspect of the whole movie, it was definitely a lot of My Bloody Valentine and the competition with Halloween, too. And I, it was so funny from the very beginning. It's like, oh, wow. It, it just, it, it, what I did like is it just, it kicked off fast. You know, oh, little Susan's playing and then her little playmate's dead. Okay. 
now we're off and running. And I've got a fucking the- coat rack, by the way. You know, it's amazing. I know. Yeah. Plus, I think uh, two of those kids were the kids from Bloody Birthday. Yeah. You're, what are your favorite? I thought they looked familiar. Yeah, definitely the yeah. girl. And I want to say the Jacoby kid was too, or Jacoby. But um, yeah. I, yeah, I do love Bloody Birthday. <laughs> I've always loved that movie. <laughs> I recognized a little girl and I was like, where have I seen this girl from before? It's not Bloody Birthday. It's um, the, the dinner scene of Blues Brothers, you know? How much for the little girl? She, she was uh, she was at the table. Yeah. Oh wow! That's, I mean, I I love Bloody Birthday as well, but that's where I recognized her from. How much she has that? Yeah, she has that scene. She has like that blank stare. You know? yeah. yeah. No, she was definitely a psycho killer for real. Like definitely for realsies. <laughs> but all in all, it's a it's not a terrible little slasher entry. I like the the long brooding hallways that always looked like they were covered in fog. And there was just like this complete sense of peril going on throughout the whole movie with her. I mean, she, it was, it was, there were a lot of scenes that were incredibly uncomfortable. And it's like the one thing that bugged me a little bit were, I mean, most of the deaths were cutaways. You saw most of the action and then they cut away right at the end. So you got your, you did get your blood splat. You did get to see a body, but they pulled away completely, which is probably a good idea because the effects may not have been, may have looked pretty bad at the time. Who knows? And so it's a decent little entry into, you know, stuck in a hospital with a bunch of people that should not be there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a huge slasher fan, so and and I have a, a a slasher coffee table book, and at least once a year, Kim and I kind of go through it and pull out like four or five, five movies to watch, um, and uh, this is one, as I said, I've been wanting to see for ages, and had I put this on on like a slasher day to watch amongst a bunch of other slashers, I would not have been disappointed at all, and I wasn't disappointed this time around. It's it's not a disappointing slasher at all. It's just it's kind of mad. What I what I the the whole uh, uh, ninth floor covered in mist thing that blows my mind is that she stops on the ninth floor, and three guys with gas masks say the ninth floor is being fumigated. Right, so this is not set up by the killer. This is not something that is set up by the killer. This is an actual thing. Just that actually having the ninth floor fumigated. Right, mm-hmm. yet. Every single character in this film, including a medical professional, a doctor steps out onto the ninth floor (laughs) with it heavily being fumigated to the point where the people doing the fumigation had to wear gas masks. She walks around. She doesn't even cough. She doesn't rub her eyes. She doesn't break out of sweat. Nothing like that. In fact, she goes, oh, it's perfectly normal that I'm stepping out on a dark Clearly fumigated ninth floor to go meet somebody that I've been told to go meet. So normal that she wanders through three or four rooms before getting killed. It it because because for a moment I was like, wait, was that I couldn't remember was the ninth floor being fumigated as like a ruse for the killer to get people up there? But no, it it was actually being fumigated like that. It's not like the three people who stopped her at the elevator revealed themselves to be part of the plot, like. It was actually being fumigated. So people walked through that floor inhaling toxins. Like, he could have just left them on the ninth floor to die. Like, it didn't... It it was... That was sort of weird. (laughs) Yeah, I will say one thing it does... Oh, sorry. 
no, once again, it just seems like it was just a series of different ideas that they kind of fused together through the plot of a hospital. It meows. Yeah, it's Fester's birthday. It is. Happy birthday, Fester. 14, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one thing I think they did really well is exploit the fear of being trapped in a situation that you can't get out of. Uh, like one of my biggest fears is being arrested for something that I didn't do and not being able to get out or um, being t- trapped in an, like an asylum and not being able to get out. Not, you know, not being able to convince people that I don't belong there because, you know, it always it never fails in in movies where you are trying to convince people that you don't belong there. It just convinces them more that you do. And she runs into that, you know, because, you know, she's like, get away. You know, there's a you know, he's dead, asshole. You know, get up. And they're like strapping her down. And and the more she protests and the more she tries to tell them that there is a murderer about the crazier they think she is and, and your hospital that is, is a... already filled with crazy people and when right. it's not a hospital when like when like no one in the hospital is recuperating from an illness or actually being treated for an illness but they're all just insane people wandering around in in robes and and dressing gowns and stuff and and drag apparently like <laughs> you're only going to end up you're only going to end up looking even crazier if you're going to claim that someone's trying to kill you. You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. You, you walk well into a normal hospital. Truck, right, know? exactly. You walk into a normal <laughs> hospital and say someone's trying to kill me. First of all, all the lights are on. Secondly, all the nurses are around. Thirdly, there's someone to talk to. There's a front desk. There's a waiting room. Like, stuff's happening, you know what I mean? Like in a regular <laughs> hospital, but not in this one. In this one, there's a mad dude who may or may not be a killer and or dead in a, in a dressing gown in the elevator eating a hamburger with so much ketchup <laughs> oh, on yeah. it. Yeah. That's, that's oh, a grease two gets a grease two level of ketchup on that burger there, Suzanne. You know, that's what yeah. I'm gonna say. Oh yeah, it is. And he's drunk. Like what? What do they do? Are they just housing like drunkards and homeless and crazies? Like, is that what this hospital is? And in which case, why didn't she just go to a general practitioner and not some mad doctor in a hospital? Anyway, I'm gonna let other people talk. <laughs> that's an excellent point, though. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, after after if there's four MV, MVPs of this movie, it's that Afghan pillow because I love that to death, man. I, I want that in my life. Um, the old ladies who hate her guts throughout the entire movie. Uh, the fact that this whole plot is predicated on f- false X-rays that have been switched out. You know, she claims nothing wrong with her, but the, and, and, and the fact that the the, the killer uh, does his killings. It just makes it look crazy at every turn. I think that's like I wish he had a slide whistle to make that even more effective for me. You know, like at also, least, like at least we're, whoo, whoop, I would love it. You know, <laughs> also Gary, the the the, the X rays, Rat, Like one one of them just looks like a regular X ray with like nothing wrong on it at all. The other one looks like her entire body is made up of like. I don't know, sour patch worms or something. Like the the, the X ray. It looks it looks like those plastic lays that you get from Party City have been right. shoved down her body cavity. Yeah, <laughs> it, like they hold it up and go, "Oh my goodness!" Like all her organs are falling apart. And I'm like, 
I'm not sure that an X-ray would look like that if all your organs were falling apart. And also, if all your organs were falling apart, I don't know that you would be like walking, walking around and, yeah. and talking <laughs> yeah. and making. So, yeah. Oh, anyway, with all of that in her abdomen, when he did the the examination, um, you think being a doctor, he'd like go was like, no, that X-ray is not right. Hmm. But then you don't. Have I a wanted. You don't have a movie then, see? <laughs> as as he was doing the examination, I wanted like squelching sounds, like blamange. Because if her entire innards would like looked like that X-ray, then you would just prod her, and it'd just be like, <laughs> like putting your hand in. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no, but I think that the real winner of this movie is the simplicity of it. I mean, you get the opener, but you know. Her hanging out with, with, with uh, I guess her her male friend playing with a train, and then her 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 secret admirer giving her the Valentine, and them just like sh- shutting it off, you know, and just to say fuck this lame guy, and her friend, you know, you get this in the first few minutes of the film, being hung and, and killed on a fucking coat rack, which is something you gotta love in a movie like this. And this this is your killer. You're just waiting for him to reveal himself the entire time, and. But also, like, the kid kills another kid, right? As a kid, right? And, like, that's it. Like, there's nothing, there's not even the, like, at least Bloody Valentine's, like, oh, he went off to a mental asylum or whatever. Or, like, Halloween, oh, he went off to a mental asylum. Like, nothing. And then as an adult, she doesn't even mention it. Like, it doesn't even come up. Like, she's not even worried about her kid, even though as a kid, her friend was killed by some mad person. Like, she's just, like, gives her kid to the husband, just like, whatever. When she speaks to the kid later and the kid's like, the husband's out, she's like, all right, when's he going to be back? Like, none of none of whatever happens in the opening scene plays into the rest of the movie at all until, like, the ending sequence where you're just like, what? And then they have to have a flashback to remind you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's like, by the the way, Harold's fucked up, man. You know. Yeah, right. She should have like, well, been. I, I'm sorry. I know what's going to happen because I've seen Bloody Valentine. <laughs> yes. So like, this should have been addressed though by her family. Uh, Harold should never became like a medical doctor if that's true. But um, yeah, that's the thing of this movie. But the kills are are really you know like they said you don't show a whole lot. I do like the hatchet to the head. You do get to see that. And, the hatchet um, to the head's great. No, but wait, you're, you're, that's another point you just brought up. Like. Is Harold an actual medical doctor or is he a serial killer who's waited this long to pretend to be a doctor and has gone through some elaborate like Kramer out of Seinfeld ruse pretending to be a doctor to the point where all the other doctors believe he's a doctor, but actually he's a a psycho killer. And and if he's if he's actually a real medical doctor, (laughs) like did he have to go through the seven years of school and training and everything? In order yeah, to do this elaborate, <laughs> they, they call that the, they call that the long con, John. Now, Come I was on, just about to say that is the longest long con ever. Harold, who had no compulsion about going into breaking into a house and killing a child when he was a child, instead of just doing that when she's an adult and breaking into a house and killing her when when she sleeps, no, no, he's going to go to medical school, people. He's going to get. He be, he became a doctor, ironically. You know. Yeah, the real tragedy is he wanted to be a baker, and he, you know, <laughs> he didn't get to do that because he had to set up this whole revenge plot. 
And I, look, I, I I get it. Like horror movies don't have to make a lick of sense. I get it. Like as long as there's blood splattering around and nudity and people running down corridors screaming, like most of us are happy. But I just mean like there are there are so many holes and bad decisions in this film that it just it just they just compound against each other to the point where you can't really take any of it seriously no you can't because it's just it's a series of events that makes her look crazy and you know it it happens to see this killer i like the look of the killer by the way i mean i love like the thick rubber gloves and it's almost like a like a like a giallo kind of thing with these thick rubber gloves and um the mask covering his entire face because of course you can't know who he is till the very very end of the movie because it has to be revealed that it's probably this guy who's a man now who she's probably never seen since he was a child so why the fuck would she know what he looks like you know I don't know but um I I seen his eyes they were terrible you know but um it's um yeah you, you gotta come to that conclusion to where you find out that he's the killer because why would it be anybody else with that opener why, why would it be I mean, for anything, it's predictable. But at the same time, the simplicity is king in this movie. But you could it, like well, because by the time you get to the end, you've forgotten about the beginning. So right, but it could have been like it was perfectly set up that it was the um, uh, new boyfriend or the, the 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 stepdad or whatever. It could have easily been him. In, in other words. It, it makes a lot more sense than going away to medical school to become a doctor, to then <laughs> bring her to a hospital, to then kill her real doctor, to then, like, that whole thing, like, just such a headache. Simply, you know, change your name, move out of town, or you've gone to a psycho ward or whatever you've done, change your name, change your hair, come back, meet her, like, woo her or whatever, uh, become become the the stepdad and then go on a kill rampage. That makes that makes slightly more sense. You just described uh, the plot or, of Valentine, right? Well, yeah, I know. I mean, not, not not my bloody Valentine, but Valentine. No, no, no. I know Valentine. Well, I mean, there's a there's a different way it could have gone. Well, maybe he, you know, felt so much remorse he decided to become a doctor to save people to try to make up for the mistake he made when he was young. But he was flipping through, saw that she had been a patient and everything came crashing back and he felt the desperate need to kill her. Oh, right. And had they established that, that would have been awesome. I would have been all over that. that was, <laughs> this movie needs a lifetime plot thrown in. I'll tell you how you do it. Okay. <laughs> our, our killer Harold, when he turns like 17 years old, he gets out of the asylum he gets facial reconstructive surgery, and then he see he, she doesn't know who he is, so he he decides to go woo her. They get married, they have a couple of kids, they have awkward sex until finally she has to go to this, this doctor's appointment. You know, they have all sex. They said, "By the way, we had sex two times this morning. I've been the killer the whole time." <laughs> and then the look of grimace on her face would be amazing. And you know, Eric Roberts could be the killer. I'm just. <laughs> Do it, you know. Uh, starring for, Eric Roberts. Starring Eric Roberts as as Harold. <laughs> oh my gosh! But I'll kick All it right. to you. I'll kick it to you, John. Anything else you'd like to say about the movie? What would you give a one to ten? Uh, I would give it a, like I I am a slasher fan, right? I have watched both the nadir of the genre and the best of the genre. Um, I would give this a square seven out of ten. As a slasher film, it's it 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 ticks all the boxes. 
Uh, it's a ton of fun to watch, a ton of fun to talk about. Uh, it, it's a good 90 minutes. It doesn't overstay its welcome. Um, I, I give it a good, strong seven, seven and a half out of ten. And Naya agrees with you. S- yeah, sorry, uh, Jamie. Uh, I was actually going to say the same thing. I would go seven and a half. Cool. Suzanne? Yeah, I, I like the seven. It's It hits all the sweet spots. It's a hell of a lot of fun. And it never wastes your time. Yeah, seven. Yeah, it's it's there. It's 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 better, it's better than middle of the road. I, I have to go agree with my co-host and give it a seven as well. Um, like I said, at certain plot points, this could be, could be a fucking ten or eleven, perhaps even. You know, get a lifetime this shit up, y'all. It's a uh, I need to, I need that kind of melodrama in my life. But, um, yeah, had had it had a second uh, uh, rewrite, um, possibly by someone with a, a slightly more Americanized sense of humor rather than Burroughs Davidson, which he, he has a slightly uh, odder uh, sense of humor. Um, and had it had it had um, uh, uh, just an explanation rather than just Harold showing up at the beginning and Howard showing up at the end. Had it had just like you say, lifetime that shit up. Just just put a line of exposition somewhere in the movie that just kind of goes, Oh yeah. And then I did this or whatever. And then we're all sweet. And then you, that bumps it up to maybe a nine or a 10. Yeah. I have to admit, I did have a moment where it was just, uh, we had the beginning, all the stuff in the middle. It's like, well, we knew it was going to be Harold. We just didn't know who Harold was. And then that just like that, that like flippant reveal at the end. Don't you remember me? Like, yeah, I was hoping there, for something. Just, I mean, just a little something. You see, missing plot points so, like that is what make, makes Blood Rage so fucking brilliant, okay? He's all the yeah, same yeah, about yeah. that, you know? <laughs> I'm so glad Blood Rage was, like, rediscovered uh, and people are loving it. Um, but no, the the um, uh, the thing with also is that Harold shows up, obviously, earlier in the film as, like, the kindly doctor who's trying to help her out. And it's never quite established where she knows him from. That's the other thing is like, I get it. If she goes to this hospital all the time and she goes to a regular doctor and whatever, but like there was no attempt to even explain that just suddenly Howard shows up and he's just being slightly nicer to her than all the outrageous assholes that have been real mean to her ever since she showed up. But like, we don't really get why that is like, it would be if he is a doctor and if he has been making this history with her, Kind of like put in a line of dialogue to explain that, I guess. Man, oh man. Yeah, this was a fun discussion. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about uh, Leather Daddy, abusive, but fucking scowly ass, and you got to love him for that. Michael Ironside just terrorizing people uh, in uh, visiting hours from 1982. We're going to talk about that right from the trailer. In this hospital, your next visit may be your last. All visitors, please leave the hospital. Dr. Len. Visiting hours so frightening you may never recover. Starring Lee Grant, William Shatner, Linda Pearl. When was the last time... You sat in a movie theater and felt the cold fingers of fear creeping up your back. 20th Century Fox presents a movie so intense, so frightening, 
you may never recover. Visiting Hours, starring Lee Grant, William Shatner, Linda Pearl. Rated R. Once, every few years, a movie comes along that is so chilling, so terrifying, it sets a new level of fright. It will reach you in ways you cannot predict because it is so intense, so frightening, you may never recover. Visiting Hours, starring Lee Grant, William Shatner, Linda Pearl. Rated R. In this hospital, your next visit may be your last. Visiting hours, so frightening, you may never recover. Rated R. Visiting hours from 1982. Uh, your cheap plot synopsis is this. A deranged, misogynistic killer assaults a journalist. When he discovers she has survived the attack, he follows her to the hospital to finish her off. And a whole lot more. This stars, of course, the great Michael Ironside, Lee Grant, William Shatner, and a whole lot more. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is a film, and I'm going to kick it to... This is a great film, actually. Kick it to John first. I know he, he had an interview with Michael Ironside, so that, that's the thing, too, guys. Check that out. I did. I did interview uh, Michael Ironside. Um, I don't know how much about visiting hours we talked about, but uh, he was driving from Tennessee uh, back to Baltimore um, and just had me on his uh, speakerphone and just kept talking uh, for, for like two hours. And then was like, oh, wow. my, my daughter's been trying to call me for 45 minutes. I better get off the line. <laughs> that was how he ended the interview. I was like, yeah, you, you probably should have got off the line like 40 minutes ago. <laughs> but it was the best interview. It was fantastic. Anyway, uh, visiting hours. Um, I, I've seen this one before. I, I actually really like this one. I'm a big fan of like both Canadian filmmaking and Canadian horror. The one thing I would say, though, is it must be so fucking frustrating being in Canada, um, especially around this era, is they have to pretend it's America, even though like it it makes no bearing on anything that's happening. Like, just say it's Canada. Like, we'll understand <laughs> um that's the only thing about this movie is that that like they they have to it must have been it must have just sucked being canadian being like this is a canadian film with a canadian cast shot in canada and yet they have to like pretend it's america why well more people watch movies in america do they okay fine um but as it is visiting hours is i almost hasten to call it a slasher because there's sort of more going on in it than that um uh, Lee Grant's journalist um, that there's a, a, a nice neat subplot under the whole thing which a lot of other kind of slashes ignore to some extent and this is the idea that this particular journalist is um, anti-violence and certainly anti-gun um, and is still questioning the whole idea of sort of uh, either self-defense or vigilante justice um, and there's a lot of commentary about because William Shatner plays who plays Lee Grant's uh, uh, boyfriend, but also her, her TV producer. Um, uh, it, he's often like trying to push the angles and push the story and push the thing. And how can we spin it? Uh, where she obviously ha she she often has more integrity. And there's this nice idea because almost the ultimate um, 
the ultimate insult, the ultimate thing she has to undergo, the ultimate uh, degradation she has to put up with is that she is forced merely because Michael Ironside just will not ever give up like all good slasher killers. They just keep on coming. Um, she is forced to kill him at the end, like all final women have to, but uh, in, in the tropes of the, the, the film, but because they've woven this nice thing throughout the film of her sort of, is she, uh, she was anti-violence. Then she gets attacked. Uh, they're trying to spin it that maybe she's for uh, self-defense, but she herself is kind of having her voice silenced by Shatner's uh, 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 relentless uh, showman kind of thing. And then in the end, she has to commit violence. And and it's this really interesting thing that a lot of slashers don't comment on is this idea of, yes, there's been a, you've been, you've been chased by a killer this whole time, but in order to defeat the killer, you yourself must become the killer. And, I, I just I really like that aspect of visiting hours. It, they don't hit you over the head with it, but it's kind of in there. Um, the other thing about visiting hours is that because Michael Ironside is so utterly just painfully and disgustingly like realistic in the role, um, it, it feels it feels far more horrific and insidious than most slashes most either mass slashes or faceless slashes or nameless slashes because um the way he terrorizes especially the women in the film but the way he terrorizes his victims in the film is so um sort of so heartless and so angry and so uh, uh devoid of humanity and the fact that he just likes to watch them die and take photographs of them as they die and it, it's it's you almost don't need the whole, oh, I had an abusive father and I'm, you know, I'm I'm a bigger Republican right wing kind of person kind of spin on it. Um, you, you, you what, he is so just insidiously disgusting as a character and the way he plays it is so fucking raw and real and mad that it just it just layers on so much horror that even though we've seen slasher killers like kill people, strangle people, set fire to people, push people out of windows, whatever it is. We've seen slasher killers do all sorts of stuff. It it doesn't hit as hard as it kind of does in visiting hours because it feels just so cold and calculated the way uh, um, Ironside plays it. I mean, it's just a, it's such a fucking tour de force performance. And I don't say that lightly. Um, uh, and then the other end of the spectrum is Shatner turning up to cash a paycheck doing his i'll just wear a, a velveteen jacket um and basically be a bit of a lounge lizard tv producer um which i also thoroughly enjoy watching <laughs> but it's in in no way uh, uh <laughs> it's horrific for another reason is uh, i guess what i'm saying uh but i i love shatner I, I i do not apologize for shatner at all but he feels completely out of place in this otherwise very dark and fairly realistic um um menacing uh film which yes is called a slasher film but it owes as much to hitchcock as it does to um you know something like x-ray or my bloody valentine um so i i i love this movie and in fact this is about my third viewing and it, it only gets better and more kind of grotesque with each each viewing and lee grant's really good in it as well um because she has that kind of like quiet, determined strength, but but obviously is also terrorized and and 
just put through the ringer of it. In fact, everyone is put through the ringer of it. The the abuse in the movie is pretty pretty heavy. Um, and I'm surprised this isn't cited more when uh, those kind of violent rather rather than gory. I find this movie kind of it's violent. It's it's insidious. It gets under your skin. It is gory. It's kind of realistically gory and kind of. Um, uh, uh, but but it, it it to me it there's more of a pure violence to it, and I'm surprised it's not brought up more when discussing kind of those late seventies, early eighties kind of uh, violent horrors. Um, but I love it anyway. Uh, Suzanne, uh, this has always been one of my favorite, and I agree with John. It's, it it kind of sucks lumping it in with the slashers, but this is one I can remember the first time I saw it. I snuck out of bed in the middle of the night while my parents were asleep and watched it on the big ginormous console TV and prayed to God nobody woke up and caught me. So that was my first viewing of it, having no idea what the hell was actually going on. I was there for the I was there for the murder at that age. Wow, that's really, really fucked up. Anyway, I've I think one of my favorite parts of this movie is actually William Shatner because he does actually play this pretty straight he doesn't you know shatner all over it he's you know pretty damn good in that role and lee grant of course just amazing but for me like i said william shatner steals the show but let's talk about michael ironside what one one this, quick point on 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 what you're saying, Suzanne, is Shatner eating the yogurt at the end of the hospital bed is just an amazing scene. Love it. It's kind of a dick move, actually. <laughs> yeah, so gonna, yeah. Just, I'm just gonna yeah, eat I mean, your does, yogurt. He, he just he does play it straight. He doesn't. He's playing the part that was given right. him and not playing it as William Shatner. It just it worked. No, totally. And but, the 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 other the other trope of him. Um, even though he's a TV producer, ending up being a de facto detective and going around with the police, even though there's no reason for him to be there. You know what I mean? Like he's just he ends up like running the case with the police. <laughs> you know, I think that one I kind of rewrote in my head because I think the police are going to use the news to try to catch this guy. And that was kind of his in. But, yeah, he should never be going to that dude's apartment. But, you know, you didn't talk about uh, the little uh, the one who actually, you know, caught Michael Ironside, the little prostitute, and she she fucked him up after she went and trashed his apartment, told the police on him. But you know, that's all beside the point. But what I can say about this movie that just genuinely keeps drawing me back into it every couple of years, it's just there's a brutality to it. You know, a lot of the stuff from the late 70s, early 80s, a lot of it's done so tongue-in-cheek, and there's kind of that little edge of black humor to a lot of it. There is absolutely no humor in this whatsoever. These kills are bleak. They are painful to watch. There is just such a, a, a harshness and a meanness, and Michael Ironside pulls off that, that killer perfectly. He's it's there are parts of that movie that are still just very difficult to watch because he somehow looks like he is enjoying this. I've never I haven't seen a lot of slasher movies where the person, you know, playing the killer is just 
has completely pulled that off so much. The one that stands that out it, to me is, I'm sorry, the one where he uh, cuts off the lady's oxygen tube just to watch her die, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, that's, I mean, when he goes and just shoves his hands up and just rips that dude's nose. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're, they, I mean, they will. They, they yeah, those are people. Are, he wasn't there to do that. You know, like, that's not the whole reason he was there. But he's just like, oh, all right. Well, as long as I'm here, you know. Yeah, may as well. And, and well, they're helpless because he likes to pick on people helpless. Women, hospital, old men didn't give a shit as long as he could exert some form of power over them. He would just relish in the killing of them. But I, and, I do like your point that the the two women in it, uh, the prostitute and Lee Grant, um, I, I like the strength and determination they sh- show in the film. Um, yeah, they, they completely versus, are his undoing. Yeah, versus the sort of regular female um, uh, victim in these films that 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 often, until the final girl, end up end up uh, being just people to be scree- um, scream and to be killed. These seem more realistically drawn and more strong and more well-rounded, I feel. Well, yeah, I mean, her character in the beginning, I mean, they're, they, they, they hit around at it that she was uh, very much a feminist, which really wasn't, it's, I don't want to say popular, but it was still kind of the early 80s when, yeah, you can, you can be a feminist all you want just to shh. Don't tell anybody, but I just, I I just, there's just, I love this movie. I love, I just love the the harshness, the brutality of it, the complete and utter lack of any form of humor. That's one thing. I I know there's horror comedies. I know there's tongue in cheek, but you know, sometimes I just want a straight up horror movie without any, anything else. And the ending, it's, it, it, I've always found the ending to be weird. Yeah, she finally kills him, but it's just so, after all of the stalking in the hallways and being chased, it just seems like it stops. It just doesn't, it's not a very fulfilling ending to me. That's just me. That's, and oh, there's one little thing that I found at the very beginning after he stabs her and then he stabs the knife into the wall and it's covered in blood. When he goes to pull the knife back out, there's no blood on it. I just caught that tonight. Cool, cool. Movie mistakes aside, uh, Jammins, what do you think of the movie? Oh, man. Uh, This is one of my essentials. And what that means is basically I will always own it in some form or another. This was a very special movie for my mom and me. And... Part of that was because uh, Lee Grant was her favorite actress. Part of that is because we just, we shared horror movies. That's what we did. So I watched this with her and it was always just a a favorite. Always. I I love everything about it. I love Michael Ironside is one of my all-time favorite villains in this film. And it's it's one of those movies that I just... I frequently quote in my head, like during everyday situations or whatever, I'll just pull little snippets out and 
run through them in my mind. Uh, it just if it fits the situation, like it's just one of those movies that always is on the forefront. And uh, as a matter of fact, I had it on VHS for years. It was the big box VHS um, before it was ever released on DVD or Blu-ray. I had this VHS and I watched it so often that when I got my I got a VHS to DVD recorder, there were two movies that I, I transferred to DVD because I watched them so frequently. I didn't want to. Uh, and these were original VHSs and I didn't want to screw them up. Uh, one of them was this movie and the other one was Rawhead Rex. But like, <laughs> for totally different reasons. But Rawhead Rex. I yes, that. I love it so much. <laughs> um, but this one scene that sticks out to me in this film is the scene where Michael Ironside is trying to get into the hospital. So he takes the beer bottle and he smashes it with his forearm. But it's the whole thing leading up to that. You know, the the popping the cap off the pills drinking the pills, like taking his belt. And you can hear the leather when he's wrapping the belt around his arm to try to like tourniquet it. And you can just, you can hear the leather and how tight he's pulling it. And then when he just smashes down on the bottle and he pulls up his arm and the effects are just astounding. Like you can see the shards of glass coming out of his skin and it's all bloody and it just it's so well done it 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 i just love that scene it's one of my favorite scenes just in anything it's so good it's one of those effects where because it looks so real and because it's so subtle it's not overblown it's not like he pulls his arm up and there's like blood pissing from it it's just like it's dripping like it would like it's realistic that it wouldn't get noticed. Like it's always the big elaborate and awesome, you know, massively gory effects that obviously get all the praise, but like something like that is so spine tinglingly real and just, uh, like, especially after you've watched him do it, um, that that needs to like that kind of level of effects needs to sometimes get the spotlight. You know, I love that. I, yeah, I absolutely agree. I wish, and that's a scene that I, that no one ever mentions. And it's to me, it is just an incredible, it's a small thing, you know, it's not like the thing, you know, where you have like all these fantastic uh, practical effects, or it's not the transformation scene from, from an American world within London, but it's a very tiny thing, but it's so well done it, and believable. And it hurts to look at it because it, it just looks so real. Well, it also feels like Ironside is, especially with the way that the camera is is following his actions, it's almost like Ironside has said, and he can't have done because obviously they had to do effects and everything else, but like, it's almost like he went, just stay with me. I'm going to like, just let me go with this and stay with me. And they just kind of find the, like, it's like at the very end where, the camera finds the the bottle uh, or the broken bottle in his hand and stuff. And but when he, sorry, not at the very end, where he goes to tip the liquid out and the camera like has to move to find the bottle as he tips the liquid out because it's almost like the cameraman doesn't quite know where he's going or what he's going to do. Like that actually is one of those things where 
handheld camera actually plays into it for me because I'm kind of like, this feels like Ironside is just loose and it's like, I'm going to improvise something, guys. Let's just go with it. Like, it feels like he's really doing it and it kind of adds something to the whole, like, madness of it all, really. And and the fact that all the best villains in movies should be and, and what Ironside trades on uh, in the same way that all good horror directors you need to feel like you're in the hands of a madman, safely in the hands of a madman, but you need to feel like this guy could go off and do anything. You know what I mean? Um, and they say that about like Carpenter as a director. They're like, you feel like, or Toe Pooper, you feel like you're in the hands of a madman. Ironside is one of those guys where, as an actor, you feel like you're in the hands of a madman. And you know it's a movie, and you know they're acting, and you know he's a whatever. But, like, it's just – he plays it so well. It's incredible. Sorry. Anyway, carry on. Yeah. No, I <laughs> I agree 100% with all of that. Um, no one has mentioned Linda Pearl. Uh, and I think this, this is just as much her film as it is anyone else's. And she – we spend a great deal of time with her. I love her character. I love how caring she is. I mean, she's a good nurse, and she really gets involved with with uh, with this particular patient because it happens to be her hero. <laughs> but I love that we you know we sort of glean that she is from a rocky marriage. She doesn't get along with her ex. You know, her kids go visit him, but she's not fond of it. <laughs> Excuse me, sorry. Um, we find out a lot about her, and I just i I love her character. I think all of these are solid characters, and that's the thing is it's not like with a typical slasher film, you you get to know a couple of them, and then the rest of them are usually just background people, but. The thing about the cast for this film or the characters for this film is that you really get into all of these characters, at least a little bit. Even uh, the Lenore Zahn character, the the chick he picks up. (coughs) Excuse me. My God. We get a taste of who she is, like who she hangs out with, the kind of things they do for revenge, you know, things like that. The fact that she goes to the free clinic all the time, like we, you know, we we know who she is. And uh, incidentally, this totally by coincidence, the the last film that we talked about had a girl from Bloody Birthday. And Lenore Zahn is from Happy Birthday to Me which is another film that I watch on my birthday every year. So that's just, we covered both my birthday films in a sort of a sideways way. But uh, the scene with Michael Ironside and her, when uh, we don't actually even have to see it happen. We see the aftermath when she goes to the clinic, but the way he brutalized her, like her back, that's horrifying. Um, the another thing that always sticks out to me, and I don't know why really, but it is um, when he jumps out at Deborah, and she's wearing, and he's wearing all of her jewelry, and he just he snatches the earrings. They're like the clip-on earrings, and he snatches them off of his ears. Every time I've ever worn clip-on earrings, which isn't all that often, because honestly they hurt. Um, <laughs> I, I have I like post earrings, but anytime I do ever wear them, whenever I take them off, I think about that scene. 
I think about that scene and I also think about uh, Linda Gray from Dallas because she used to always take off her earrings when she answered the phone. <laughs> but anyway. You, you, you uh, want to know, know what I thought about too, uh, Jamie? What? I thought about he was one saxophone away from being that guy from the Lost Boys. Oh my God, you're so right. What's the over And uh, I was so terrified for that parrot. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm glad the parrot lived. Oh yeah. Uh, what the, one thing I do think is kind of funny, and it's it's not meant to be funny, but it just always gives me a, a little chuckle is when um, she is crawling across the kitchen and finds the dead maid. And then she's just like, Ugh, and then just keeps going. Like her reaction is because we already know she didn't really like this maid because <laughs> she's had it with her. But her her reaction was so um, it was kind of nonplussed. It was like you know, Ugh, get out of my way. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, this yeah, it's I. I can just honestly just go through this movie scene by scene and be totally happy. I love it so much. I uh, I always recommend this film to people who haven't seen it. We did, uh, years and years ago on Devour, we did a slasher thing, like a slasher, where I brought several slashers to the table that I thought the boys should see because they neither of them were, like, big slasher fans. And uh, this is one of the ones I brought. It's, it's always going to be a recommend from me. And, uh, yeah, I guess I kind of covered everything. I don't know. Um, yeah. Love it. Um, I think the, um, the score did a real fine job of building building tension and suspense in this movie, along with Ironside, just scowling at the camera, which always works. We could do more with the scowl. There's a scene in this movie where she's stuck in her house, I forget who's somebody stuck in her house. I forget, and it might even be Lee Grant. I forget now, but she goes inside the dumb waiter, which is the you know the thing you can pull up and you know bring stuff from upstairs to downstairs. And he pulls her up by the rope, and he cuts the rope just so he can get a look at her, I guess, before he drops her down. And um, it seems like a nothing scene, but coming from Ironside, it just the skull says it all, and he he, he uses it so well in this movie. Um. He constantly has the, the full run of this hospital, and then no matter what what he's doing and got going on, whether he's wearing the brown leather jacket, whether he's wearing like scrubs, whatever he's wearing in the movie, he constantly has the full run of the hospital, which just seems crazy since this is under high alert and high security because this famous um, reporter is is just been attacked and she's here and yada yada yada. Um, Shatner's just sleazy enough to to, to be in this movie, and I, I kind of liked it. The yogurt scene you mentioned, him just, I, I'm sure she didn't want to eat at the time, but he's just like chowing down her fucking food. She might want that shit later, you never can tell. It's uh, <laughs> pretty good. Um, the end uh, that Suzanne mentioned, which is basically her, her getting the best of him, but you get the final the final shock of him coming, coming to and... I really wish it was a little more visceral. Like, maybe he attempted to, like, cut her Achilles tendon or something like that just to make it a little more visceral. As if this film was visceral enough, because it was the brutality of the movie. He doesn't let up. <clears throat> the movie doesn't let up. Although our nurse makes one cardinal mistake. I mean, she's, she's probably almost fully aware that the killer is in her house because she receives a call. 
from from somebody, and they, they, they say the guy sounds real weird. She picks up the phone, and she hears her child screaming. Don't know where he got the sound from, but she gets home, the child safely sleeping in her bed, and so is her sister or whatever's got she got going on. The one the baby is babysitting the kid, and um, she puts. I think the she's knife, just a babysitter. Yeah, she puts the knife down on the shelf, which is a a, a big mistake right there because the killer is obviously in her house doing nefarious things, or could could be, could not be. Still, protect your cub, mama. Hold on to that knife, because then you get stabbed yourself by the longest switchblade I've ever seen in the film. Which is uh, belongs to our man uh, Colt is his name I think in this movie, and, and, I, and that's another scene that to me is just you know this film is is full of amazing scenes, but that scene where you know he gets the better of her, you know he he doesn't kill her but she's down, and he steps out and immediately starts to go up the stairs, and the little girl is coming down. Your entire body like freezes because you know what could be about to happen. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like you, mm-hmm. they have so set him up so well and he's playing it just so uh, menacingly and without compulsion that, that when that little girl, when the babysitter shows up, you almost feel relieved because you're like, please not the little girl. Like it's just such a well-crafted sequence. Yeah, because at this point, though, he could be he could be down for anything, really. If you think about right. it, you know. <laughs> that's, that's, uh... Well, yeah, I mean, he was just kicking her and taking photos of her uh, on the ground. Um, it's not he. He wasn't even interested in killing her right away. He was torturing her. So yeah, when he starts to head toward the stairs, you're just like, oh no, <laughs> like <laughs> oh, oh god. Uh, because he's already proven that he doesn't, uh, he really does not value human life at all, you know. I mean, I, I think it's another thing where, you know, the, the I guess she's a prostitute to the, the, the girl he attacks, you know, because I guess she wouldn't give it up the way he wants to in his leather daddy mode. Um, and um, she mentions that he couldn't get it up. And I don't know if that was a passive thing that she said just to insult him, just to say, you know. Yeah, he couldn't get it up. Maybe he could, but maybe that's a thing to where maybe he was sexually frustrated with you know, and he couldn't could possibly not get it up. That's why he attacked her the way he did, and the fact that that she might was, be why he hates women so much. Could be, could be. I mean, it's all well, like he's got to exert some kind of control over them, or it just nothing's going to happen. The, the, right. the very the very phallic uh, switchblade. <laughs> it could be. You, you never can tell. Because that is his, his real weapon of choice throughout the entire film. He doesn't have another weapon. He doesn't have a go-to or anything. It's just the switchblade throughout the film. And you would expect, you know, being in a hospital to be using... I'm not talking about, like, Maniac Cop 3 levels where you use the heart pedal machines to explode somebody's head. But you'd expect a, a sociopath to, to his level to use whatever he can to do what he wants to do. But he just has this long switchblade. And the fact that that girl mentions that he couldn't get it up like, maybe that was a thing, because the way he brutalizes her is pretty bad. I mean, I imagine if you saw the whole thing, it might look like that scene in Cape Fear, the the remake of Cape Fear, where Bobby D attacks Eliana Douglas. And, uh, but it was, yeah, I, that that part, that, that little throwaway line made me think that maybe he doesn't like women for, for that reason. Like, he can't get it up. But then the whole... Think it's about, also super oh, odd that as a child of abuse, having seen his father abuse his mother the way that his father did, and then even uh, the mother like 
attack the father back, right? Doesn't the mother throw hot water on the father or something? Or yeah. grease, some I point. think. Yeah. Or grease or it whatever. Like it is. Oil. Um that he went he went the violent way rather than the uh protective way, you know what I mean? Psychologically speaking. Well they hit it that he was you know a little bit more in tune with his dad than his mom and probably that was what he achieved to be just this big tough guy and the way his father viewed his mother was just weak and beneath him i mean it's implied heavily and i'm probably adding to it yeah but that's probably the way that went i have to mention the landlady because i think if he would have gave the landlady some loving she would have let him go on that rent a little bit but she uh (laughs) she seemed she seemed to be (laughs) devoted to to my man the whole time you know no matter well, how much she scowled at her or fucked with her, or, you know. I'm sorry, go ahead. I said, I do have to give him some props for tolerating her, because that would annoy the piss out of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was just annoyed the whole time. You know, just he ignored her, obviously. And it's a real small throwaway thing, but it just seems like the landlady was a little too much in love with old Michael Ironside there. But he had nothing. He wanted nothing to do with her, you know, to even look at her or whatever. But it's a real throwaway thing. Be a great film. Very brutal film, so if you've never seen this before, get ready for that because it doesn't quit. And it's not funny. It's just really, really brutal and hard to watch in parts. Like I said, the, the, the thing that got me the probably the most is the scene with the old lady where he just cuts off her oxygen just, just to watch her die. He doesn't use the knife to stab her or anything. He just wants to watch that, that final death rattle because he's that kind of sociopath. So... <laughs> But also, unlike a lot of other um, violent or exploitative films, while it is hard to watch, and I agree with you, it doesn't feel um, it doesn't feel exploitative. It doesn't feel um, that there are any scenes in it that aren't just adding to you know either the story or the menace that he's bringing to the. You know, it's meant to be relentless and it's meant to be violent, but it's. I, I never feel that I'm, as an audience, being. Uh, you know, it never feels over the top or exploitative in that regard. Oh, I agree, man. I mean, it's not. It doesn't like gross me out. I mean, you're, you're novice. You know, say I'm going to watch slash movie. Why? Why not try visiting hours? I'm just saying, set yourself up for something that takes itself really seriously oh, and rightfully so you know 100 100 dude yeah no i completely agree with that and i i think that the the warning is justified i just mean that uh just as a general comment it it's not um gratuitous gratuitous is the word thank you jamie <laughs> that's what i'm here for thank you my brain has been mush for days now so i don't have the vocabulary i used to be at the it's about covered here. I'm gonna kick it to John. Anything else you'd like to say about the film? Would you give it one to ten? Uh, I give it a ten out of ten. Beautiful, Suzanne. Like I said, this is one of my favorites. There's just something about this movie, and I don't understand how it's been so underrated and overlooked for so long. People need to see this. If you can even say you're a slasher fan, this is a must see. There are other things out there other than Friday the 13th, which I love dearly. But these are the kind of movies that I really like. I am pretty much going to sit at probably a nine on this one because it's damn close to perfect. The ending just irritates me a little bit. Cool. Jamie? 
Uh, well, once again, John gave the correct answer. So uh, it is a 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no, you know how to play film. to my ego. <laughs> <laughs> this is a this is a perfect film for me. I um I just uh, and part of that is uh, is obviously I think the emotional ties that I have to it because it was something that I shared with my mom and that that my mom and horror movies are like that's that's the whole reason I am who I am. So that's this was very formative for me. And yeah, it's, but I second the recommendation if people have not seen it. I do, I have run into a couple of people over the years that I've recommended it to and they have found it boring. What? Sad, sadly. Yeah, I don't, I don't even, I don't even, I don't understand, understand that. that. I no. don't understand <laughs> it. I just kind of moved on. I'm like, okay, then never mind. Um, <laughs> I don't. If they it. want to see a boring slasher, I, I, there's about fifty I could name. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and I love slasher films, you know, but uh, there's a lot of boring ones out there. <laughs> well, yeah, but this I, is this is not one of them, and I don't. Uh, not at all. I don't get it, but I have actually run into that. So. I recommended From Beyond to somebody, and they told me, it's like, well, that was lame. Wow. Whatever. Do you know I couldn't watch From Beyond for about, shit, uh, probably about 15 years because it disturbed me so much the first time I saw it that his pineal gland. um, Oh, I know. That freaked me out so much that I refused to watch the movie for a very long time. And finally, when I bought it on DVD and I forced myself to watch it again. And then I've seen it a bunch since then. I love it. But it just for years, I couldn't go near it because it freaked me out that much. And as it's come up, you know, rest in pictures, Stuart Gordon. Oh, man, what a crushing blow that was. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that is... He he doesn't have like a huge long resume. He he didn't make like a hundred movies, but the movies he made, man, wow, what a what a legacy they are! Just every one of them memorable. Every yeah, single one, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Such a talent, and uh, just uh, uh, by all accounts, a uh, uh, absolute stand-up geezer. Yes, uh, I give it a nine as well. I mean, I, I I love it. I mean, it hits every beat that it's supposed to hit. It's just um. Yeah, the the the, um, the the little bit at the end, I liked, but I didn't like at the same time. So it takes a little bit off, but it has so many beats, you know, with the psycho- psychology of the killer, the kills itself being so brutal. Ironside, this film is, you know, is either broken or made on his performance, and he knocks it out of the park. And uh, nine out of ten. Uh, pretty good stuff. I'm uh, I'm gonna recommend it too. And, uh, I think yeah. I think that the mistake the ending makes is that it as the credits roll, you see Ironside's face, and I think for it to hit home more about what I was saying at the beginning about you know the ultimate indignity she has to go through is the fact that someone with morals about violence um, and abuse has violent has to become violent. I feel like there would be more. Um, uh, emotion and energy and poignancy if it focused on her and her it, 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 almost if she was like catatonic almost if she was like you know Barbara in, in, in Night of the Living Dead kind of thing even if she had, was so horrified 
by not only what she'd gone through, but what she was forced to do. I feel like there would be a way to drive that home better rather than just focusing on. I think they were trying to do like a psycho Hitchcock thing, like kind of just having the face against the blank wall kind of stuff. But uh, uh, for me, I think they should have focused on Lee Grant at the end of it. Yeah. Once again, just like in the Living Dead, Johnny does have the keys. See, he knows just what he's talking about. You know, <laughs> Johnny has the keys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, she's so fucking annoying. But I'm forgetting all that now. And uh, <laughs> oh, and and, 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 it's and ten and, minutes and, to three. Yeah. <laughs> what one last point about uh, Shatner eating all the food? Um, I I think that's probably where Brad Pitt got his entire career from. Just that scene no. right there. Because uh, I, I feel eating. like Shatner is being a proto Pitt in that sequence right there. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's really something to think about. God damn it! <laughs> Except you know what I realized when uh, we watched Apocalypse Now uh, the other day because it's a you know we're in the A's. And I just it just hit me that I think Brad Pitt totally got his Twelve Monkeys performance from Dennis Hopper in Apocalypse Now. Oh no. yes, one hundred. I I never ever ever realized how dead on. But we just recently watched Twelve Monkeys because it was you know we went through the numbers before we got to the A's. Because so we recently world, watched. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So right. Uh, so we recently watched Twelve Monkeys, and then we watched Apocalypse Now, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Uh, it was dead on. I mean, just dead hand movements, gestures, you know, everything. And I've never actually heard Brad Pitt say that, but that has to be. No, actually, for Twelve Monkeys, he actually did go to because um, the, the Hamster Factor and other tales of the Twelve Monkeys, which is a great documentary. Um, actually shows him like literally sitting in with psychologists and witnessing like real schizophrenics and so on. Um, but I think it's probably more the fact that Dennis Hopper was actually, you know, not only like high off his tits on Coke, but also just uh, a little deranged in his own sweet oh. Hopper oh, yeah. way. Um, and, and probably a lot of those mannerisms just kind of play into the same uh, uh, psychology of of uh, the people that Pitt witnessed in in the documentary. Well, that's possible. I like to think he was at least inspired. Or oh, in most a everyone bit. has been. Who doesn't you know. love Hopper and just fucking full blood? Like the, the moment because Kim got me this beautiful uh, uh, um, uh, ultra high def TV when we first moved into our new apartment about a year and a half ago. And, uh, yeah, just putting the Blu-ray of Apocalypse Now on that beast and just fucking watching Hopper go nuts in widescreen. It's just glorious. God damn, how beautiful movie. is that movie, too? Oh, it's just a, it, uh, that it is, is stunning. I just fucking love that movie so much. I know all the shit that went into it. I know that everything that's wrong with it. But fuck me if that isn't a work of genius. And it, well, and it was, it's one of those movies where I went up because I was making dinner at the time and I went up to go to the kitchen and Brian's like, you want me to pause it? And I'm like, yeah, uh, because like it does, it's one of those movies where you don't want to miss a frame. Right. Like, you don't, you, you just, you don't want to, because it's so pretty to look at and it's still, everything is, and it, apart from that, there are the performances and the story and everything, but it's just stunning. You know, I, it's, I don't know. It just. And then you just kind of sit after it's over, just percolating and, on it. And that's what they call these tangents, people. 
Yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. It's sorry. okay. It's okay. <laughs> but up next, after all this long conversation, you get to record myself at least talk about Hellbound Hellraiser 2 on the sloppy second segment. Right for this. <laughs> Vision is renewed. The power is reawakened. The fear is reborn. Because they have returned. Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Brace yourself for terror you have never imagined. And your suffering will be legendary even in hell. And horrors you can never escape. And you wanted to know. Now you know. Last year, they brought hell to earth. Now, they'll take you through hell. Hellbound. Hellraiser 2. Time to play. Hello, welcome to the Sloppy Second Segment. Uh, I am Gary Hill once again. With me, as usual, is Court Psyops. How are you doing, sir? I am feeling particularly sloppy this afternoon, evening, day. Whatever you're listening to it is, pretend that we are in the same time as you, folks. Is that because you're butt naked covering hand sanitizer right now? Just thinking about stuff? I just want to be pure. <laughs> yes. I just want to be pure. <laughs> And with us is someone usually here on Cinema Beef, but she's here with us on this sloppy second segment. Uh, Suzanne is here. How you doing? I'm good. Really sloppy here today, but it's rainy and shitty out, so I guess that accounts for it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of gloomy out, but yeah, here we are, talking about gloomy, gloomy films. Uh, we're going to kick off these, these Hellraiser sequels, and I know some of them are very bad people, but we're sticking it out just for you, and I'm sure this has been done by other podcasts before. I know it has, but... um. We'll hope to try to make it funny for you guys. And uh, first one up, of course, is Hellbound Hellraiser 2. Brought out in 1988. Uh, not directed by Clive Barker, but directed by Tony Randall, who gave uh, gave us a couple of my favorite cheese, uh, cheesy movies of the of the 90s, including Ticks, and uh, there's one more I know that I love that he made. Hello, Cat. Uh, I love Ticks. Ticks is great. Ticks and Fist of the North Star he directed. The live-action version of that? Yeah. Wow, I didn't even realize that. That's amazing. So there's there's that. Um, your cheapo plot synopsis is this. Kirsty is brought back to an institution after the death of her family, where the occult obsessive head resurrects Julia and unleashes the Cenobites once again. That bloody mattress. Nasty as fuck. <laughs> this, of course, brings back Ashley Lawrence as Kirsty Cotton, Doug Bradley as uh, Pinhead, all these other, not called Pinhead until the next movie, uh, Claire Higgins, Julia Cotton, 
Kenneth Cranham as uh, the amazing uh, Dr. Shenard. Um, Imogen Borman as uh, the very mute Tiffany. I think she talks once. I forget now. It's been, yeah. She screams out the word no once. Yeah, that's and that's it. So oh, like, and mommy. So she's right, like, mommy so, and no. So she's like Caesar uh, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> At least in the first day of films, she's yes. like Caesar. Yes, indeed. Caesar is home. <laughs> Uh, Barbara Wilde is replaced. I mean, Barbara Wilde replaces the female Cenobite. Simon Bamford returns as Butterball. Uh, Nicholas Vince as Chatterer. And um, that is where we'll stop. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll kick it to Suzanne first. And she's our guest. Ask her what she thought about this one. I love this movie. I think it goes hand in hand with the first one. And... The the gore, oh my god, the gore is so absolutely glorious in this movie. There is so much killing and blood and just stuff. The I, I, there's little part, little plot points that irritate me, like when the doctor overhears Doctor Chenard bargaining to have the bloody mattress sent to his house. But yet he still turns around and takes Dr. Chenard back to Kirsty's room. Um, why would you do that? <laughs> I mean, you, you know he is up to no good. Yet you bring him back in. All right, whatever. Um, it just I, They start hinting a little bit at Pinhead's origin story, you know, with uh, him in the, his uh, uniform. And it's always one thing I've always liked to wish, wish that they had played up or at least did a, an origin, a real origin movie, which we'll get to talk about that one a little bit later. But this movie is always just, uh, I, 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 walk, I can watch the two, one right after the other, and they fit together seamlessly. Naya, damn it. I just, I, I love this. I think Dr. Chenard is, he's just gloriously evil. And bringing back Julia in the most bloody way known to man was just fun. I love this movie so very, very much. My husband hates it. He thinks it's terrible. He doesn't. He's like, how can Shinar take over? We've had a few arguments about it. That's like, who cares? It's hell. You know, it's like they're not all they're not the devil. They are, you know, just random demons in their own you know, basically in their own house. And I like Tiffany. I love the puzzles, but I have to admit there are times I find her incredibly irritating. And I know that's mean, but it's what I do. But I just, I I, I love the movie and the gore. It's just fantastic. This is a great sequel. And Hellraiser is one of those movies I'm usually really forgiving with the sequels in most cases. But this one's, Fantastic. This is the best of the bunch for me. Uh, spoilers to later episodes. I'm like that with the Children of the Corn sequels. So one of these days, people, I, I know Jamie has been, been throwing it at the mouth to do them one day. So maybe she'll join us for those. Um, Court, what about you, sir? This is actually my favorite of the original like trilogy thing before they expanded it into the fourth. And it's still my favorite pretty much of all of the films. Um, a lot of the complaints that people have um, about the film and how the directions it takes where they were going to have Gennard or Chenard be like the new Cenobite, um, they had no idea the cultural impact the pinhead was going to have because they decided to go ahead and start making this film 
pretty much before the first one was even like fully recognized and released, they knew they had something on their hands with the first one and they started production on this and they just didn't get the the fever that people were having for Pinhead and his cohort Cenobites until the third movie came along. The third movie came along and then that basically is where a lot of people really went crazy for the whole Pinhead stuff. But the second movie they initially planned and they thought that Julia was going to be our bad character because more than less, she is the evil character in the first film. It's her and Frank working to get Frank flesh and to escape the Cenobites. The Cenobites are more or less a background character plot device. It's just that they're so striking and so horrific that they resonated with audiences and they became this thing that people became obsessed with. And while you get a lot of great pinhead and crew stuff, the the thing that I think a lot of people hate is when Shannard just comes in and deals on them all and basically obliterates them, you know, and like, then he becomes like this Prince of hell and they have no idea why, but they have this whole setup that Leviathan wants to kind of clean house and that, the, the Cenobites have been doing things that they don't want. And Chenard, as far as I was concerned, became an extension of the Lord of Hell. And, you know, Julia got what she wanted because she was going to be his minion. And Kirsty being Kirsty, she shows up and fucks everything up for everybody because that's just what she does. You know, she fucks up all evil intent. So, I mean, that that never bothered me. I never had an issue with it. And I think they found a way to recoup it to bring Pinhead back, um, which we'll talk about when we get to the third one. But... Overall, I love everything about this movie. The The gross-out factor is intense. Um, the actual physical effects that are put on the actress that plays Julia when she comes back skinless are so detailed and so vivid. Even in the... I've got that Arrow Scarlet Box Blu-ray set of the first three, and that 2K scan reveals a lot of problems with some of the effects in the first movie. You can really see some seams and things like that. They still look incredible. They still look amazing. Don't get me wrong. But when you're really looking with the 2K scan, you can see a lot more of how the effects are done. And in the second movie, when that skinless Julia comes out from the mattress, there is very little that you can find in that detail. Yes, they took some political light, uh, uh, not political, but poetic license on how areolas function on the muscle part of pectoral muscles. And they made breast pectoral muscles stick out like breasts do, which they don't. Um, yes, there's some issues there that they had to work around with a physical actress in a suit, but I mean, it still looks amazing. Uh, that sequence with the guy screaming, get them off me where he's clawing at himself and carving himself up with the razor is still like just so fucking disturbing and just hard to deal with. Uh, and they just, I don't know. They, they it's, your typical part two sequel, you get this a lot where they just rush into production and they don't really hammer out a script and they just kind of go with it as they can. And while this may be a mess to a lot of people, this is a beautiful fucking mess to me. And I love this movie. Yeah, me, uh, this was probably, the, I saw this one before the, the, the first one probably. And, uh, I'm kind of glad I did because Dr. Shenard as a man is, is a real scummy bastard. But Dr. Shenard as the Cenobite is fucking terrifying to, like, a nine-year-old's eyes. And even today, you know, he the, the part where he's revealed, um, you know, floating in the air by this claw. And you see him, and he makes that fucking noise. It's It still fucking disturbs me to this day. And uh, It's I like this get, backwards get, playing. 
it's like this backwards playing discordant like operatic singing that's mm-hmm. the, the the noise that he makes it's so otherworldly and weird but it sounds like they're playing some opera singer backwards and throwing it through some kind of weird filter and it's just it's upsetting every time it plays it's just upsetting Oh, yeah, I, oh I was listening to it today really, really loud. Sorry, Gary. Okay. And it was just rattling my windows. It was very, very, very creepy. I, mean, I, lo- I love the Cenobites, you know, and all their, their glory and all their I- I- icon, you know, status. But I-, I don't get that with them compared to Dr. Shenard. <laughs> it, is, it is pretty terrifying. And, uh, yeah, that that's a great element. I-, I love the fact that the whole idea of him using the patients of his hospital to... to resurrect julia because nobody will miss him anyway if he's that scummy he'll do that he's just scummy all over the place and and um you know it's all about temptation after all and curiosity and he got this this woman he bought he bought the bloody mattress people and resurrected julia and um yeah she's just as devious as ever uh one problem i have with this film is is that did they explain how she got the skin back well, no. they did. They did kind of when they were using the patience for her to grow her skin back. Um, they were using way more people than what Frank got. Mm-hmm. So they actually they skinned Andrew Robinson's character of Kirsty's dad, and he was wearing the skin um, just as like a placeholder till he could get his own back. Yeah, um, that's why they did that. Where I think in this one, Chenard just kept feeding her people. Like she had entire rooms filled with desiccated corpses that she devoured. Yeah. And, and like you see the last little piece where she has this last little section of skin that's still open in her back when she kills that orderly that's helping Christy out. Cause he's all hot for her. Yeah. And so that to me just signifies that they have sacrificed so many people. She grew her actual skin back. Yeah. It's uh yeah, I, I never realized that, but yeah, not, not that you mentioned a little slit in the back. Yeah. It, 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 it makes sense though. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm fil- you you have to fill in the blanks with your own imagination in a lot of cases with this movie because it just it gives you tidbits and it gives you little visual cues. And that's what I have done most of the time when I'm watching this is just basically filling in with the tidbits in my own mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the meat girl, Tiffany, she was fine. This is a trope that's been used in many things. You know, the mute girl or this or the simple girl who said some kind of trauma or she has some kind of mental handicap. But in this case, she has some kind of trauma, which is really fucking bizarre, those flashback scenes. And um, using her, because of course she's good at puzzles, and she's good at figuring things out, so they use her as a, as a catalyst to open that world, you know, once they figure out that she she can do what she does. And so I guess she's not just a mute girl without a purpose. She she has a purpose. It's just, when, when you get there, it's, it really works. It, it does work. I mean, without without her, you know, Kirsty wouldn't wouldn't be ruining the day in this movie. So, she has her part to play. I just don't don't like her character very much. If that makes any sense, yeah. They don't they don't develop it well. It's another one of those things that they hint at. Like her trauma is her mother brought her to Chenard because he's supposed to be a specialist. It seems to me that she is maybe like a savant and partially like autistic or has something similar to that where she has something where she was basically retreating into herself and playing these puzzles. Her mother brings her to Chenard and then Chenard performs this unnecessary surgery, pretending that her mother was a patient and basically murders her mother or obliterates her mind. 
and then keeps Tiffany for himself locked up because of this long-term plan he's had to get the box opened and go in with Leviathan. So, I mean, her trauma is justified as to why she won't speak and all that for me anyway, just in the flashbacks that they show, because she, she does, she gets like this brain surgery done on her. Yeah. And that, that thing where he's like devouring people's brains with the, that like, I don't know what to call it, but it looks like a drink mixer with like a blender blade on it. That he's yep, using. Yep. <laughs> I mean, like they use that visual cue of that thing pretty well. Like whenever Chenard gets put on that long extended, uh, tendril that comes out of the depths of hell that is supposed to be like, you know, a link to Leviathan, the thing that looks like a giant cancerous cock that has the same apparatus on the end of it, that like the blender blade yes, that gets attached to his head. Like that is a reference to all the people that he's probably ruined the lives of by doing that and destroyed their brains before it takes him over with that because he comes out and he's a Cenobite. That is the Chenard version of the Cenobite. But then that person that who he was gets destroyed by that same means that he destroyed all those lives because that's how hell works. The irony of it all, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And then Leviathan takes over from that point. So it's Leviathan using a Cenobite carcass to kill everything else is how I always looked at it. Put that on the shopping list. Cenobite carcass. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a figure I would buy. Put, put it in the, yeah, oven I mean, at three, put it in the oven at three seventy five or about, you know, I don't know. It's a, Ooh, gonna have to stop you there. That's a Cenobite casserole. You got that backwards. God damn it. <laughs> God damn it, Gary. Don't you know better? No, I don't. I can't don't. send you to the store for anything. I tell you. Continue what you were saying, Suzanne. Oh, I was, you know, what are my other thoughts? I mean, I, you wonder if maybe he did something because, I, God, I can't even count how many movies where the, the doctor fucks up somebody's brain. You know, maybe he fucked her brain up and, I don't know, just a thought. Little Tiffany's brain. Oh, like he fucked up Tiffany's brain, but only left the parts that he needed for the puzzle solving, doing that same surgery. And Basically, then, when her, yeah. then when her mom found out about it, then he ground out her mom's brain just to hide up his fuck up. And he's been on the path ever since. I like that interpretation. And then Bruce Willis shows up and takes her through Leviathan and, you know, all the- <laughs> it's a guilt- guilty pleasure. Mercury rising. I like that movie, but um, here we are. Uh, yeah, again, the Leviathan looks pretty pretty great. I mean, the the world they built probably out of early early eighty CG, mixed with some some sub, some sub places, and uh, um, that looks real fine. I, I will say the makeups look really great. They really upped up the makeup factor because I, I imagine they had more of a budget because uh, Julia looks uh, a lot more detailed than Frank ever did as as a as a flesh uh, as a flesh suit, I guess you would. I don't even know what you would call that thing. It's just a <laughs> underdeveloped body or something. Yeah, she looks. She looks a lot better. And the part where she's crawling out of out of the uh, out of the, the the mattresses, the look on her face is pretty devious. I kind of love it. And um, she always looks devious, though. I've always loved that character for that reason. She's just a piece of shit and piece of shit through and through. You know, right until the end where she. Well, the end of Shinard's natural life, she betrays him and just to, I guess, to make Leviathan her own, but that don't work out for her either, you know? So, um, yeah, r- real fine follow-up to, to an already great film, and I don't know if I agree with Corp by saying I like it more than the original, because it's, it's, it's a really hard statement for me to make, but 
it's not better than the original film. I just prefer this one. It's it's just the one that is resonates the best with me. At all. That's fine. I never watched the 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 deleted scene that got restored with with the arrow the arrow print. What's that all about? I don't even know what that is. Oh, they go through the the Kirsty and um, uh, Tiffany are walking through the hellified version of Chenard's insane asylum. And you see a bunch of different uh, patients messing with the boxes with hooks in their heads and stuff. And then it goes into a room where the, the Cenobites are about to perform surgery. It's just basically the photo of the Cenobites in doctor scrubs that are covered in blood that makes it look like, you know, your make triggers a bunch of people's imaginations. It was on the back of the Hellbound Hellraiser 2 VHS box, even though that scene was never even really in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then when you finally find it, like what you imagined in your mind seeing that picture all those years ago on that VHS box is nine to ten times better than what it actually is there. It's it's literally just this quick scene of them going, it's time for surgery, and then you just hear noises and stuff when they're yeah. dressed like that. It's it's nothing all that major. I mean, it's still worth seeing, and I'm glad Arrow restored it, but they didn't put it back in the movie because it just doesn't really add anything other than running time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm good for, for talking about this one, and that sounds really insulting because I have a really good time with this. Um the conclusion is a lot of fun. It's a lot more satisfying than in the next movie, you know. But um, um, you get Kirsty and, and uh, Tiffany work, working together, sisters doing it for themselves to to close up Leviathan real tight. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I'll kick it to court first. And ask him anything else you'd like to say about the movie. Where does he give it one to ten? Um, yeah, like I said, this is uh, my favorite of them. Uh, I really enjoy watching this one. It's probably the one that I have watched the most because it's, you know, the actual time that they're in hell and the stuff in the asylum just resonates with me really well. Uh, I'm going to give it a full 10 out of 10 cancerous cocks digging into a Cenobite brain. There you go. (laughs) Suzanne. I, I love this. I, one of my favorite scenes I forgot to completely forgot to talk about is basically when Shenard starts undoing the Cenobites and you have your, as I call it, the, the torture wheel, and you just kind of go back and see them in their, you know, human forms. That has just always been one of the creepiest things for me. I fucking love it. But yeah, this is like a 9 out of 10 for me, just because Hellraiser is a 10. Yeah. I second that nine, and uh, you'd be surprised what my rating of the next one is because it's going to be pretty close, people. But um, yeah, it's 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 pretty good. It's almost perfect. It's it's pretty much on par with the first one. So yeah, uh, you could do a lot worse than making Hellraiser one and two a double bill for Saturday night, which I've done before. So just throwing it out there. But um, yeah, this is it for this one. And uh, as my buddy Eric would say, we'll see you all again. In part two, uh, we're back. This is the end. The end with my friend John Cross. So glad to have him on. John, pimp, pimp your stuff, sir. Thank you so much again, man. Oh, uh, yeah, thank you. It, it's been an absolute dream. I love uh, uh, jarring movies with you guys. So this was this was fantastic. And two two great movies. It's a great double bill. If you want to have a double bill of, of like, uh, um, uh, mad sensational slasher and then uh deeply uh 
serious and uh, Canadian slasher, you you kind of can't go wrong with these two. <laughs> <It's decent Canadian. laughs> uh, I feel like it's Canadian because it has a moral center. I feel like it has a conscience, uh, which is what I think distinguishes it from a lot of American films. Um, uh, and uh, anyway, uh, but no, my shit. Uh, you can find all of my stuff at two websites. Uh, one is aftermoviediner.com, which will give you all the reviews, news, uh, interviews, podcasts, and crap you can shake a stick at. And the other one is miskplumfix.com, which is M-I-S-C-P-L-U-M-B-F-I-X.com, uh, which is where all my music is housed. Uh, we just updated it today to include the new album that I, I uh, uploaded and the ukulele videos but uh so aftermoviediner.com and miskplumfix.com will have all of your john cross needs in two places cool jamie oh well uh most of my stuff can be found on horrorphilia like uh abc's of hidden horror which the brand new episode just came out as we were recording this episode so the X episode of ABC's is out. You can also find me weekly on the Married with Children podcast that drops every Wednesday. And then um, occasionally we drop our colossal collection. There should be some of those coming out now that I have a little time on my hands these days. A little, a little more time anyway. And is that it? Is that all I'm doing right now? Oh, well, there's also a like in it that I have in the wink, but I... I I don't know. I can't decide whether I want to release this one or not. I didn't really love it. Mm. But, well, it's just the movies were boring. It was, it just, it ended up, I thought it was going to be a really fun show, and then it ended up not being that much fun of a show, and maybe I need to go back and listen to it again and see if it's worth even throwing out there. But, uh, Liking It will be, there will be an episode of Liking It coming out at some point. I'm just not sure if it's going to be this one or not. Um, so, we'll see what happens with that. And that's me. Suzanne. Oh. Uh, NFW on Horophilia covering snake movies. And don't miss my snake facts. You should get one that everybody's irritated by every episode. Oh, yeah. Snake facts are plenty. She's a snake owner after all, and she's a, a snake a snake enthusiast, if you will. You know, a reptile enthusiast. But, um... Yeah, me, uh, this show, Two Dream Venom Commentaries, Burning for Springwood, uh, can all be found on legionpodcast.com, along with some other great shows. Um, not just like great shows at Horophilia, there's other great shows at Horophilia as well. But, um, uh, listen for the quarantine reviews, I've, uh, got a couple lined up with some people that, that you may enjoy, um, John, you're welcome, if you see me announce something that you'd like to come on, or just like 35 minute reviews, nothing this long and extensive. Um, we have two out now, Fritz the Cat and Dead Time Storage, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, we have one plan for Edmund, which is a lesser, lesser talked about Stuart Gordon film that speaks to William H. Macy. I've talked to my friend Will from The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, and I know Jamie would be excited about this. We're going to do Coward of the County as a quarantine Yay! Review. Yes, Mr. Kenny Rogers. Um, and d- d- I love that song and I love that movie. We'll see what else comes up, you know, for, for those. And could, could be a whole bunch of, could be very few of them. Um, but, um, yeah, that's all happening. Twitter, GW. Twitter, at, uh, at Cinema Beef. Um, 
if, if you want to, Bo has something going on as like a relief fund for the people out of work uh, to help the, our fellow Legionnaires. So if you want to go check that out, I'm sure I could play the promo on some point in time during this episode. You probably heard it already. Um, that helps. More important than the Patreon at this point. Uh, a lot of our folks are not able to work from home. And uh, again, thank you to the to, to the first responders, your grocery store clerks, your medical professionals, all you people. Uh, <laughs> your, your, yeah, yeah, and hotel workers. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Although Landing I may have been, I may have been exposed today. Oh yeah. Or like, well, this guy that was there, he actually checked out today. He was like, oh, I think I've been infected. Like he was had some symptoms and he hadn't told anyone while he'd been you know milling around the hotel all this time. So we'll see I'm what hoping happens. I'm hoping for not okay. Well, so am there. I. Yeah. So am I, I. I like you this much. I can't. can't I see my your hand, <laughs> hand sticking out right now. But I love you this much, and I don't want nothing bad to happen to you. Okay, you know. Well, I hope I hope not as well. Now I have been very careful. We have been taking this whole thing very seriously. And we've been very careful about it. So, um, I mean, we at the hotel and we at home. So, I, I think the chances are pretty low, even though. But what I don't like is that he flew home today. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, great! That that makes me feel great about Pat going out of town next week. Oh shit! I'm sorry, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know, no, no, that serious because I, you know, some dumb shithead is going to do this. And I'm just like, why, why, why would you do? That? And of course, I guess he has to get home, but I don't know. It's um, it's just you're in a tube, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, uh, I know. It's. Well, are hopefully, they screening, are they screening people before they go on to flights? And I know that doesn't mean anything because there's the whole two week thing. So I mean, honestly, we we're all exposed and probably don't even know it, you know. But mm-hmm. are they? I wonder, screening people. I- I don't know. I, I don't think so, but uh, somebody was out of town this week for a few days and said that the planes are empty. Hmm. Oh, okay. Well, that so makes a sense. lot of people, you know, hopefully this guy kept his distance, social distancing, washed his hands, coughed and sneezed into his elbow yes. and didn't, it, it did his best not to expose somebody. He was very, whenever he would see, like, I would pass him in the hall and such, and he would always, you know, um, he's like, I can go the other way if you want, or, you know, I'm like, like, uh, he would try to keep his distance, you know. And I'm wondering if planes are maybe uh, practicing social distancing when they book flights. Like, are they forcing people to, like, are they only allowing people every, like, one per row or something like that? Um, I have no idea. I just, I know I'm, I, I wasn't happy about if he was, if he went last week, they were going to drive. And this week he's flying. I'm just not real, really, really uncomfortable because I don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of days. I don't know if they're going to start shutting everything down or what the hell is going to happen. So what we're really saying is don't get exposed and don't expose yourself to someone unless you have their consent, okay? Just, um, you do that if you want to. I don't know, but, um, yeah. That's, that's it for this one. I'm going to leave the corona alone and say this has been the Sin of Beef podcast, where if you got beef, we've got the grinder. See y'all next time. <laughs>